Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today and as always, actually, I take that back. I'm usually joined by Jason Neal, Patrick Harris, Johnston Yellen. Uh, but today, in, in, in an unusual series of events, but a much welcome series of events, I am honored to be with the one and only Jessica Rabbit. Lomas. Oh, thanks so much for revealing to the listeners my secret middle name. <laughs> now they all know. They can I assume that's your middle name. Yeah, Is obviously. it Jessica Rabbit Lomas? Yeah. yeah. What else would it be? I can't think of anything else. <laughs> Sounds good to me then. <laughs> so so Jason, Jason is currently out in the wilderness, our, our listeners may remember from last year when he, he went out with his whiskey group from the Palouse up in Idaho, or Idaho, Washington, and, and they went to the Frank, Frank Church Bitterroot and spent about a week, week and a half without any electronics, no Apple Watch, no iPhone, no computer, mm-hmm. no, no nothing, clearing trails, not with chainsaws, not with anything mechanized, but with axes and and saws. Like I feel as if when when Jason was asked to the meeting to potentially join this group, and they asked, you know, who will join us? I picture Jason chiming in saying, "You've got my axe." You know, it was like a fellowship of the clearing of the trails, if you will. Is that when he still had his big mega beard? It is entirely possible that's precisely how that went down. That I think he did have his mega beard. So it Very had fitting. to have been it. I would have thought it would have been the uh, complete lack of any modern technology. Definitely no phones, no social medias, none of that. He'd have been like, this sounds like my kind of way to spend some time. Sign me up. Do you? Does it upset you as much as it upsets me that he just is nowhere to be found when it comes to the social media world? I enjoy that people in our Facebook group persistently attempt to tag him in things and bait him out of uh, his um, 1900s home where they they don't have internet. You know, I think that's, I think it's fun. I think it's exciting that it makes me still feel like a young person being like, hey, did you see this? And then I stop myself and I'm like, no, of course you didn't see this thing on the internet, (laughs) on the old Twitters or this thing on the Instas. And he just looks at me and he says, why are you asking me continually? Yeah. Well, you know, maybe this week was a week you're like, hey, I really need to get involved in this hashtag Instagram. Because because he, he didn't. He didn't delete any of his accounts. Like no, they, he's, they he's all still exist. There. Does that upset you he's more? That they're still there. They're not gone. They're there, but he just chooses not to look at them. Uh, right. It's it's kind of like going somewhere and you're at a museum and that painting's behind the thing. You're like, oh, but it's just there. I could just touch it. Right. It's, it's just like he's just there, and you can tag him, but he's not there. You you can't actually connect with him. I think that brings him great delight. I think he's probably thrilled. And he'll be laughing. I can't do a convincing Jason (laughs) laugh, but he'll be laughing that we're even having this conversation like, oh, you guys. (laughs) Um, 
so so listen, Jason. Jason aside, look, he's he failed us this week, and I'm yeah. and I'm perfectly fine with that because I've got you. But you've recently come back from a trip yourself. Now, granted, you were on the Instagrams, you were on the Facebooks, but you All were out in your what I assume to be your favorite country in the world, Sweden. Am I am I correct in saying that? Uh, they definitely potentially have the um, bid. But I'm willing to be invited to other places to assess whether or not I need to make that my favorite country. It's not a fixed status. And I, I don't think, I don't know if he's listening to this podcast. I'll make him listen. Uh, but yeah, I was at our friend Anders' summer house, uh, which is on the west coast of Sweden. Um, on a, it's a bit of connected islands that's called Orest. And it was delightful. It was super sunny, there was lots of whiskey, lots of nice friends, lots of swimming in the sea. Like, all the things that don't exist in Scotland. Well, they do, but with, like, a little tiny asterisk that come with, like, you will get hypothermia if you do these things. But, uh, yeah, it's been the end of a series of long trips. I've kind of come back to my flat and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is my house. Ugh. Because we were in yeah. Campbelltown and then we went to Isla, obviously, for the... Um, for sure. Oh, for the fish. And then yeah. we were home for kind of a weekish, and then we set off again to Sweden. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind. It's it's nice. Now I'm like. Do you like you coming know, back to your bed? Is, is yeah, that I love a my thing? Because you travel quite a bit. Yeah. I love my bed, but I am um, I'm really bad at. Um, the worst bit for me of any trip is when you come home and you have to put stuff away and you're like flinging stuff in cupboards, just like I just don't want to look at this anymore. Get rid of it. Um, which I'm really, I'll leave my suitcases lying around for a maximum amount of time because I just can't bring myself mm. to put them away. And then I'll just sort of shove them in a cupboard, pretend it's, and then it always, it always bites me in the ass because when I come to pack again, I'm like, ah, where's my blah, blah. And I'm, I, if I was sensible, I can hear my mum being like, just, just put it away. Just put it away. Yep. yep. <sighs> Sorry, mum, I'm a grown up and I still uh, doing the washing and like, putting away the things you've bought it's the absolute every time I come home from Isla I despair I wish there was like a button why do we not have the technology for that click a button everything is in its rightful place oh just oh almost like a like a Star Trek transporter but for your your the belongings within your suitcase yeah. yeah like an unpack button that it all just the washing is done and folded all the toiletries are back in the cupboards you know like that kind of stuff <laughs> It's difficult. Like, this is also the world's worst first world problem. Like, oh, it's really difficult doing the washing. I'm sorry. I'm very grateful for having the ability to travel <laughs> and visit my friends all over the place. I don't begrudge it at all. Yeah, I think the kids would, would say, uh, check your privilege. Yeah, the, the kids are say. probably right, to be fair. You know, like, because unlike Jason, I've just spent two days complaining on Instagram about my suitcases not coming home with me. Which, again, is a terrible first world problem to be like, I went on a trip abroad in my suitcase. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, I think I, I've, I've used up, if each person has an allocation of social medias, I've used Jason's mm -hmm. allocation just to whine like a whiny little girl. Uh, but don't worry if anybody is looking at my Instagrams. Uh, it's back, service is back to normal. It's my usual irreverent nonsense with interspace with pictures uh, of whiskey. Yeah. No more suitcase chat. It's good. Although I was, you know, doing some heavy repping for Apple yesterday, making people buy AirTags. Other, other so, trackable things are available. So listen, I, 
I know that we need to talk about whiskey and mezcal and, and rum and, and all the mm. things that Thad Vogler is 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 quite interested in and, and talks about. But you mentioned this before before we started recording, and you said, "Well, you know, with with my my suitcases lost, I had air tags, so I knew where they were." And being being an old, I didn't know what an air tag was. You have all the Apple devices, so it's really kind of inexcusable. Like every Apple device, but I, I didn't know an AirTag, Apple. Man. What, what's an AirTag? So they're like these little discs, uh, and I only really use them in my luggage, but I guess if you lose your keys, you could put them on your keys. Or like It's like a device finder. Oh. So you on the for the Apple users listening, on my the little app that's the Find My, yeah. that's how you find your things. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't quite track in live time. And it depends on somebody with an Apple device walking past it, which you can imagine in an airport, there's tons of people doing that. So that's how you can see where it is. Uh, but it was so helpful because without Ooh. being able to point at my phone and, you know, be like, yeah. it's here, it would have just been a, a sort of shrug of like, maybe your suitcase is here, huh. maybe it's not. Because unsurprisingly, they're not that keen to let you just start rummaging through a baggage hole of any suitcase that takes your fancy. <laughs> <laughs> is it is there any part of you that that feels that's that's a bit big brothery like you you can't be the only one who knows the the global positioning of one's bag one's thing one's one's whatever uh look if someone else wants to take my suitcase full of washing that needs doing you are kind <laughs> of weirdly welcome to it I mean, I'd like some money for that, because I, I think that's the kind of thing you could charge for. But, um, yeah, no, it is, it is, but it's not. I, I guess, you know, post-COVID, aviation's a bit wonky, and it, it adds a sort of reassurance. Although not, mm. I mean, it gives you real fear, because it doesn't necessarily, like I say, it doesn't necessarily update in real time. So when you're looking at it, if nobody's walked past your bags for a while, so it doesn't, like, ping, it, yeah, that gives you a <laughs> slight moment. But, mm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I wouldn't travel without them, now. So that's my pro-traveling tip, which I feel like does relate to today's topic because there's a lot of travel involved. Ooh. In a way, you stole my segue, but that's okay. Oh, it's shit. a slightly Sorry. different segue. Take it back. No, right? Like, one of the things that, that I found interesting about this book, and I'll be honest, I, I have not completed this book. So, you know, dear listener, please know that. I'm actually, I am so shit at reading books because... I don't have the time. By the time I can read the book, I'm in, you know, the day is done and I've opened it up and I'm in bed and, and books give me sleepy eyes. So I like, I think there may be an audiobook version of this. And, and so I'm, I may, I may have to do that to, to do the completion. But completion. one of the things that I've, uh, what's that? <clears throat> Sorry, I was just being Jason there. Completion. Carry on. Oh, Jet calling HR. <laughs> I need an audiobook to bring me to completion. Anyway, um, is this thing on? Anyway, um, one of the things that that I found intriguing about it when when Jason first told me about the book because it was it was him that brought it to my attention was this idea that it was this memoir slash travel log mm -hmm. type book and. And it reminded me of Hans Offringa and his Road to Gregeliki book, which was the same. And I really like that. I like, there's something about 
reading someone else's own personal journey, you kind of feel like you're a fly on the wall and, and you know, you get to experience yeah. it through their eyes and through their taste buds. And, and so that, that idea, I, I really like, I like the, I, I like being a fly on the wall and that's the sense that I'm getting so far where I am in the book. Uh-huh. I think you're excused. Mm-hmm. We could make Jason do an audio version. I think that'd be fun. But you'd have to listen to Jason's voice for... Are you okay with that? Yeah, he's got a very soothing kind of tone. He does, he Come does. On. He does, yeah. It's very warm. <laughs> Although you saying that has sort of given me the chills. Because if he's just above your bed whispering to you, Hey, Joshua, chapter two. Oh, but yeah, he could read it like in sort of like an ASMR version of it yeah. where he's just sort of whispering it and he's got the mouth noises to go along with it. I find those deep and settling, all of those videos. I'm just like, either talk to me properly or don't. The one where they're like, folding the crisp linen. <laughs> oh, oh no, my gosh, no. 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 I don't think I have the right Wash accent the for ASMR anyway, but yeah. <laughs> okay, right. A normal audio book would be good, Jason, if you're listening. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So yeah, so so anyway, that that was the kind of the idea about it um, excited me. Just having this sort of memoir, this travel log kind of thing. So I know you're much further along in the book mm-hmm. than I am. What is your take? What are you digging about it so far? I, what you've just mentioned, I really like the idea of it being an, a journey with not just one person, but it's the way he plays off and explains the other guys that he's on the road with. You feel like you're kind of part of a bit of a, you know, like a motley crew of guys. But the the book I have two problems with. One, it makes me incredibly thirsty and makes me want to be somewhere in France drinking all these like Armagnacs and Cognacs and all these amazing wines. And the other thing is it makes me really hungry, which is odd because Mm. the cuisine of France, I would not say is necessarily my, um, I guess something I would naturally reach for. It's quite the things that they're talking about when they talk about eating all these foie gras and like all these roulettes, like very gout inducing, heavy, rich foods. But there is just something about the way they talk about them. It makes me quite hungry. Uh, So that's Mm. my two main complaints about the book. Um, Other than that, I'm loving what I'm reading so far. And I actually did text Jason being like, maybe we should do like a road trip around France. We should find an excuse to be, uh, I mean, like, I haven't been to France since I was, like, 10 years old. And I went to Disneyland, yeah. so I don't think that really counts. We went to Disneyland and Paris, so definitely haven't really yeah. seen France. Uh, but I'd love to kind of go around these vineyards and these spirits producers and just... It's it's a bit kind of, um, I don't know, Keith Floyd, romantic, road tripping. Mm. What we need to do is find some way of commissioning that. Make people pay for us to go around these places. You know, that that has me thinking of the trip. Yeah. With, uh, right? Um, it's funny, Haida and I, so Haida and I were absolutely addicted to the movies. We never get the TV show here, but you, you can you can get it. But we, we now have these grand plans um, of basically following... Uh, Rob Bryden and Steve Coogan's <laughs> restaurant trip for each movie. Just go to that country, go to each restaurant. You can go online and find all of the restaurants I'm they've gone to. I'm surprised someone hasn't like, set that up as like a tour. Yeah, you would think that'd yeah. be really popular because the TV show's great. 
And I, I think what makes that kind of concept so um, appealing is one, they're going to really nice places and having just like a great time eating and drinking. But I, I wonder how much of it you would feel was missing without those two. Because I feel like the way they interact, that kind of yeah. the way they play off each other, which is sort of staged, sort of not. Uh, I, I wonder if you would feel like you're missing it. But maybe that would mean you and Heidi would have to fill in the gaps. Which one of you would be Steve Coogan or Rob Brydon? I would be okay with that. How so, good is so your Welsh sp- accent? <laughs> so <laughs> I've tried doing a Welsh accent mm-hmm. and I end up just sounding Jamaican. <laughs> oh, okay. So like here, here's, here's a good, here's a very good example. So... You know, you think of Wales and Welsh, and you think of Pendarin Distillery. Mm-hmm. So we say Pendarin, but a Welsh person says Pendarin, right? There's like a, a sing-songiness to it. And yeah. Pendarin, man, right? I mean, like, it's just, you can you could just go down and, and go from <laughs> Welsh to Jamaican and, you know, and, and just offend both peoples at the same time. Yeah, I, I've got my uh, paging HR button here ready to press. <laughs> and I feel like we've, we've crossed too many lines and interrupted too many people. Well, I guess the way they say that's a bit like the way people on Isla say the distillery names to make them sound so much better. Like, they don't just say Lagavulin. They don't make it, like, really straight. It's got that kind of lilt in it, so it becomes Lagavulin. And they don't say yeah, Bowmore. Yeah, yeah. It's like Bowmore. They've got like a funny more, lean yeah. in the pronunciation of the the descriptions. Yeah, of the distilleries. Okay, well, this is good. I feel like you two could uh, set off doing the trip. I've long had this conversation with Mariella of Aaron uh, Distilleries fame that she and I, I want to do like a kind of, um, have you ever seen a cookery show called The Two Fat Ladies? Oh, yeah. It's like they 90s. They so much butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were amazing. Uh, Clarissa Dixon Wright and Jennifer... I can't think of what her surname was. Uh, but yeah, th- those two. I said that Mariella and I could do like a modern Two Fat Ladies around Italy. And she could be uh, driving me on a Vespa and I'll just be screaming at the back as we like <laughs> eat our way around Italy. Oh my gosh. And there's got to be panettone in every episode. There, there would just be... It would be a heavy carbs-based TV show, if I'm honest with you. But I, I could live with that. I think that'd be quite good fun. We could have, uh, yeah, just we could go and visit her family. Cause she's um, mm. from outside Naples, uh, so obviously we would have to check out, see whether or not those pizzas match up with these Connecticut pizzas I keep getting told about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Mary. Sorry. Um, and yeah, we could uh, we could just have a jolly old knees up. I feel like it would be a really good. Um, TV show. I just need somebody to pay me lots of money for that. You'd we'll have just a have regular whiskey. viewer in me. Yeah. Okay. There you Subscription go. Subscription level one. That's thanks for your support. <laughs> I'm I'm delighted. But yeah, and then we could do a memoir. I've always had this like slightly romantic streak of kind of like travel writing about food and that kind of thing. So yeah, this book totally is up my street. Um, but I need to obviously. France has been covered. Dad's done a good job. I need to find another. Yeah. Maybe I'll be the first travel writer of Sweden. I'll write it really mm. quick before you and Jason come and invade the country. <laughs> so, so listen, before, before we go on, because I know we will go on, uh, I wanted to hand this over to, to Jason and to Thad Vogler um, to hear about their conversation. Jason traveled all the way over to, uh, to the left coast as as we like to say 
to meet with Thad. And um, yeah, let's hand it over to them, hear what they have to say. I've got a few things I want to say afterwards. And uh, I'll see you on the other side. Sounds good. Do it. Thad, thanks for having me in San Francisco. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. You're welcome in the city anytime. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me at Bar Agricole. A pleasure. This is a, a beautiful little spot you've got here. Thank you. I wanted to talk about your bars, the history there, the, mm. the making the way in the world, before we get into the book. If, sure. If that's okay with yeah, you. Yeah, of course. So, so you came up in the bar scene? Did you come up in the scene in San Francisco or did you find yourself moving over here and, and making your way in the world? Worked in restaurants in, in college and then moved here directly after and um, it was a shit economy. It was 92 and just picked up where I left off in school and, and have been working in bars since. That's when I started bartending was 93. Okay. I mean, in earnest. Uh, I became a full-time bartender. I worked at a theater in, at university where I would do some, you know, impromptu bartending. So when I want to do that bullshit, well, I've been bartending for 35 years. I can <laughs> tack on three years, three years at the beginning because I made a couple gin and tonics. <laughs> and so what, what was this city like in 93? And I say that, I think I was here, the first time I was here was 92. Um, that's yeah. I moved here in '92, and it was. I mean, you'll need another hour if, if we're going to talk about the uh, d- d- evolution or, uh-huh. or devolution uh-huh. of San Francisco. It is so on everyone's mind, especially mine. Um, but in '92, it was AIDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, AIDS was kind of the prevailing mm-hmm. story. Um, not to diminish it, but. Uh, it was, it was, um, and in bars and restaurants, you know, you were working with men who had AIDS and, and people were dying. And, and then there was a kind of, um, there was a kind of, um, I don't mean to act like my, my, you know, um, but then there was a kind of, uh, in contrast to that, there was a, um, well, it was, how old are you? 48. 48. So you know, I mean, <laughs> ecstasy, the late yeah, yeah. 80s, yeah, sure. early 90s, Absolutely. and there was a there was a kind of um, there was a kind of contradiction to that to that malaise, and and so there were like mixed nightclubs, and and um, there was a feeling of optimism in the oh, city okay. that like a returning energy, yeah, and a kind of like just you know like fuck it, we're not gonna surrender kind of thing, um, you know, when you're 20. Mm-hmm. One twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's really happening yeah, because yeah. you're so subjective. But what I keyed into was um, mixed nightclubs where there was a feeling of freedom. And um, uh, I, right out out of school, I traveled a lot in in um, spent a lot of time in 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 England and and in in and the sort of dance culture and the music culture mm-hmm. and uh, and. Um, Anyway, so that that there was a feeling, uh, and it was not it was not the you know the tech city that it is now, mm-hmm. um, and it was on a downturn, and it, it felt like a much smaller town, um, and you know you, you anyway, I'll stop there. 
Yeah. I know, I know you're being careful here, and I know you don't want to spend the hour on it. However, I, I would like to explore a little more. In talking to, to Bill Thomas at Jack Rose, we've spoken with Bill a couple of times, he's talked about the evolution of DC and how that's gone from, you know, a part of the South. Like, it was, it was the North End of the South. Mm-hmm. And then it became very focused and then gentrification and mm-hmm. movements of poverty around the city and now on post pandemic all your all your through traffic has gone there there's no office workers going past your door for a happy hour and, and yeah. so he so he was talking pretty carefully about th- that evolution and how he adapts to that you know, don't go on for an hour, but but I would be really fascinated how it relates to the trade for you. Yeah, sure, for, for, no, absolutely. For you here, what's what are you seeing most recently, and where are the difficulties, and and mm-hmm. what's even post pandemic been like? No, of course. I mean, we stopped operating our places in February of twenty, and um, I started operating started operating again. Um, August of 22, so just under a year ago. So, I, I mean, we were one of we were. I mean, we were in terrible shape <laughs> at the point COVID came. We had spread thin. We had just opened our fourth place. We had no money in the bank, mm-hmm. and uh, we just could not withstand. Um, we couldn't withstand it, and yeah. we didn't know about PP. So we just like immediately powered down Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. i mean frankly there was some relief um because i was just it was just like every four payrolls and um no i'm so dumb in how i do business i achieved each concept was entirely different no economy (laughs) of scale um four huge Inventories that had no relationship. So at any rate, sorry. Uh-huh. No, no, so that's good. there was quite a gap, um, and then to reopen in August, and it was like, sort of like I don't sail. So pardon the 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 metaphor, like get, opening your sail and like, oh fuck, there's where's the wind? You know what I mean? There's just a feeling of like uh, I don't know. And even yes. in 2019, you get doors open and yes. it'd be like, oh, everyone's. So it's just a really palpable, immediate feeling of oh. There are just, it's just less. It's yeah, just yeah. diminished. Yeah. Um, and where we are, um, you know, a lot of year-end stuff comes out March, April. So we're just seeing like, oh, and, you know, we are at 32% capacity downtown of what we were in 2019. Oh, wow. Of the 63 largest cities in the country, that's 63. I mean, we're talking oh. worse than... Detroit, St. Louis, I mean, just, and it's getting worse as we had thought that we had thought, oh, well, recovery will happen. But as le- as commercial leases end, more yeah. people are leaving. Yeah. No one's coming back, which yeah. it's not unique to us. Um, so at any rate, um, I've always been kind of a naive operator in that if you if you feel passionately about what you do and, and it's beautiful, it'll work. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's true. I would say it's probably not true, but it is still <laughs> how I operate. So we've always been a kind of destination place where we've had a real kind of specific audience. Um, having four places in one town of less than a million, you end up competing, competing against each other yep. is dumb. So it's nice to have one spot. Um, there are people who are interested. 
um, and they come, but there is no, there is, it's, it's, yeah, 32% of what it was. And, and that's palpable. So that's incredible. Yeah, man. it's palpable. Um, so, yeah. so what does the future look like? Where, where do you go? Or will, will something fill the gap? Will, will those commercial spaces turn to residential? Will you get foot traffic again? Do you have to think about, do you have to move where the people are? Uh, you know, I, I, I hope you don't mind me asking you what, no. I, what I think are quite personal questions. The thing I love... <laughs> These are personal okay, questions. Okay, okay. Come on. It's the nitty-gritty of a man's business, right? Like, oh, that, that's, I'm all, yeah, I'm all for transparency. Well, and, and you were so honest in the book that I... I thought I could nice be, of you to say. I, I could be honest with you today. Sure. I mean, twice a week I'm up at three in the morning <laughs> asking these very same questions. Um, there are, I don't know, I mean, I approach work, as many of us do, fairly spiritually. I mean, I think that there's a kind of <laughs> omniscience in the market. You know what I mean? Like, it always, you always have just not quite enough money, and it's like, why do... 58 people a night come when you need 62 people a night. It's just fucking crazy. There's just like, how could you not believe in a God on some level when it's just like, who is fucking writing this? So on some level, I'm like, I mean, I'm so broke and I'm so, I'm so blown out that, um, that I, I, on some level, I don't care. But that said, we are now the only legal shipper via UPS of spirits in California. Okay. And that took about 18 months. Everyone's shipping spirits illegally, by the way, as you probably know. Everyone. And <laughs> I'm not gonna, Yeah, I mean, that just, just <laughs> is like everyone's saying, oh, no, it's, a, it's wine. And we're shipping FedEx. And, and uh, indeed, we tried that. And it's not on. So, so like, okay, we are going to be... Um, you know, we're going to be a merchant bottler. We're a retailer, mm-hmm. not a wholesaler. So it's a little complicated. So it's all collaborative. So I need a producer and I need a wholesaler. And then I put my label on it. But it's like, you know, it's like a Cadenheads or, a, yeah, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. So I'm um, a merchant bottler. So we're building a label. And um, everyone is trying to get their own label going right now, it turns out. That's the other thing. Is, is you, do, yeah. you do this for a while and you realize there, any idea you have... <laughs> Everyone has. Like, I remember the first place I opened, it's like tons of reclaimed wood. I was like, it's beautiful. It's like, Jesus, reclaimed wood. Such a cliche the second we were open. Um, but at any rate, um, yeah, so Merchant Bottler um, and trying to grab the corner of, you know, it's just about the base material. Um, we're sort of getting into the more kind of uh, booze geek stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But which, which we will circle back yeah. to. I mean, we, we'll we have a small... This is an event space. We do a lot of events. A um, couple times, you know, like Todd Leopold was in last week. Oh, nice. um, you know, Lance Winters, people like that, nice. that we have long relationships with. Yeah. We do a big Randy party. We do a big Agave party. We're doing a scotch party. Sweet. Um, yeah, we're, we'll open like nine single casks. We'll, do, we'll have a dinner. People are real hungry for that. Um, they're hungry. I think they're much more interested in coming to an event mm. uh, where there's like-minded people. So we'll, we'll, we'll these sell out handily. Um, so we have this event space, and then we have a sort of 30-seat small reservation space. And we're kind of set up to... It, it kind of pencils if, if, if we're able to sell out that space and do, do you know, an event or, or two a week. Um, 
So, so when you started to open up yeah. these businesses and you, you clearly had a vision, how much of that vision remains? And have you revisited that at, at, at times? Oh, I would say that, that this has been beneficial and that it's, it's, it's distilled back to its original, pardon the pun, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. essence. You know, like this capitalism is weird because, and, and I know that you've encountered this, that it's, if you have a little success, it demands more of you, that there's this idea it's growth or failure. Those yep. are the two options. Absolutely. There's no stasis. Isn't that something? It's fucking crazy. Right? And, and I go to other countries, you know, Japan, especially like, there, people will just operate with 20 seats for 40 years and retire and be done. You know what I mean? But that's because the culture sustains it. That's a weird kind of um, self-imposed socialism there. But, but San Francisco is, there are fewer more capitalist places on earth. So, I mean, we had an idea where we just wanted to do, um, there's so much shit booze. We just wanted to sell booze that wasn't shit. Um, it was that kind of first cocktail renaissance where, okay, you know, everyone's working with MGD whiskeys and there's this idea that's artisanal, you know, mm. because it has like a civil war era graphic, uh, you know, but it's made basically in an offshore refinery <laughs> onshore in Indiana, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. like there's just like what people are really drinking. Like it has no relationship. So to the, to the, to the base material, to the land. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. bar agricole, right? Agricole rum was very transformative for me. Like, Oh fuck. Like if you taste something made from sugar cane, which is a grass, you get incredible, a breadth of flavor that you don't get from, from, you know, of course, good Jamaican rums with a certain kind of fermentation, like, wow. Uh -huh. But, you know, like a, a column distilled white rum from Puerto Rico um, versus, uh, you know, a, a, a small pot or a coffee still mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, made from made from fresh pressed sugar cane with wild fermentation. It's just like, that's a big deal. So just, I just want, we, you know, just wanted to go in that direction and wanted to turn people on to that. So that, if anything, it's kind of backslid. Like there is a huge curiosity. Um, is this too much of a digression? No, not in the slightest. Uh, no, please you, keep going. I'm sure you wouldn't tell me if it was. No. Um, there was a, you know, 15 years ago, there was this huge, you know, call it a cocktail renaissance. And it was very much about production of drinks and, mustaches and braces and you know what I mean? But, but, but drink making, right. But still bitter flavors come back into, I mean, there are four sweet, sweet, sour, bitter salt, right. Um, that's it. So it's like, we were kind of unilaterally just doing sweet and sour. I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when I started bartending, I just, you know, I made, I mean, cosmopolitans and lemon drops for 10 years, you oh know, but, but, um, I still liked it. And that was cool because then it's just like, that's when I just like dilution, like this ice is terrible and this, you know, yeah. how can yeah. you possibly get this? So it's not, how do you get some concentration of flavor? And at any rate, um, but getting back to the question at hand, drinks, drinks making, right? And then it was, so there's curiosity, but, but what you're making the drink with <clears throat> quickly got, God, the brands are so adaptive and so smart that like, hey, let's do Negroni week. So then the, the one bitter flavor becomes 
Campari, and Campari mm -hmm. is like, you mm -hmm. know, it's just industrial sweeteners and food coloring and, and, and extracts. And, and um, so there was a kind of like, a, again, a feeling of optimism like 15 years ago, and then it quickly all got branded out and, and, and everything. And, and I think we got, the new normal is, is drinks are better, um, but there was there's like the, the, maybe people were moving from bourbon to rye, like, oh, mm -hmm. wow, this is made from a grain. Mm -hmm. And rye is different than um, bourbon. Um, because there's whatever spice, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, then maybe people move from rye to mezcal, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, wow. So there's a kind of awakening to what is this made from and what is what's in the glass's relationship to what's made from. Mm -hmm. That's why scotch is so fucking amazing because <laughs> scotch in its, in its highest form is, is untouchable because you have... You know, like I just, I finally tasted the Springbank local barley and it's just like, uh -huh. I'm just like, dang, like, you know, just <laughs> so good. At the time that it's going on the secondary for 300 and 400 pounds a bottle and yeah. totally oh my God. blowing out the water, what you would ever want from Springbank really? local barley. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. There's, there's some well, of Well, so there you go. Yeah. Isn't that moving? I, I find shit. that, yeah, I find that moving. <laughs> um, like we have a cask of Kilhoman on the wall and it's, mm. it's, it's the... The 100% Isla, and, you know, I'm a big... Uh, so, at any rate, like, mm -hmm. provenance of barley, like, mm -hmm. that's something. And I don't yeah. care. I mean, I, I truly believe that's something. Of course, water, mm -hmm. manipulation of the barley with malting, if there's a real regional peat, it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The fermentation, mm -hmm. if there's wild fermentation, um, you know, if there is a yeast living there naturally that is also a part of the... The, the the area you know what I mean like Absolutely. so it's just all of these things that that coalesce to um, create a final flavor mm -hmm. with scotch sadly as you know it's like well actually almost all of the scotch is made from you know barley from if you're lucky northern England but eastern Europe mm -hmm. it's all malted centrally it's you know what I mean mm -hmm. so it's just it's mm -hmm. like a kind of Mr Potato Head like <laughs> We'll put a nine this and a seven this and a four that and a seven that and here you go and like yeah, yeah. and then fucking collectors will all you know, at, at any rate <laughs> you know what I mean it's just like but but it's good for us it's good for us because that interest and like well what's it's sort of but it feels kind of like IPAs like yeah oh really yeah, another IPA right? another right. IPA you know, what other IPAs do you have like it's unbelievable they're all the fucking same unbelievable man. I mean it's the same grain it's the same malting facility it's the same casks. Second field bourbon, it's the same. You know what I mean? It's yep. like, so um, at any rate, like there is still so much. All of this was to say there was this explosion of curiosity, largely about recipes, bitter flavors. There was like, ooh, now people are into agave where you taste, you know, this, this amazing base ingredient. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but still it's kind of regressing back to. Um, the big brands like um, pe people still just kind of can't move beyond the big four bourbons. You know what I mean? In in their infinite, infinite variety. You know right. what I mean? Um, I want to use that yeah. to 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 come back to a, a wonderful point you made that that I've been thinking about myself, and it was it was raised. Uh, most recently to me by Ollie Chilton, who's with Elixir Blunt Brands, and they just yeah. took over uh, Tormor. And, and he was making this 
observation about growth. And if, if you're not growing, you're failing. You, you, can't be, you can't be stationary. And in listening to you and, and the products that you want to present to people, it doesn't sound scalable. Right, right. right. <laughs> I'm trying to raise money, so let's. I'd, yeah. Right, and and but 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 to your point about that Japanese restaurant that's had 20 seats for 40 years, mm-hmm. how how do you grapple with that? Look, I can put these products in front of 58 to 62 people a night, run events that are exciting and interesting to people. And someone says, brilliant, now do that a second time and a third time and a fourth time and now take it to New York and now take it to Tokyo. How do you balance that? Yeah. This is a small, bespoke product that lives in that realm. And you don't fall back into that trap of here come the big brands who, who turn this into industrial production 20, 30, 40 years ago and are killing it. Mm-hmm. Where do you find your spot in all of that? No, it's, it's, a, it's a... That's the question, right? <laughs> I mean, a, a, a diversity, of, um, a diversity of, of product, right? So it's... Um, I mean, merchant bottling is old, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. obviously, you know. So yeah. I'm a huge fan of, of Cadenheads mm-hmm. and... Um, and uh, I love the re- you know, and the reality that Hennessy and you know Johnny Walker and all of these brands are are um, are um, merchant bottlers, right? So even even the brand always comes first. The brand always, and, and we know the brand is this. The brand is basically like an app. It's this parasitic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thing that can attach to any production. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I remember like what do you like. Wait, I, I remember you know in the early '90s, like when Patron being sold, being sold again, Stolokaya. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I remember in college, there was Russian exchange students. They brought Stolokaya corn and like rye vodkas and, and these three seven fives. And I was like, whoa, these are incredible. <laughs> and then Pepsi ends up buying mm. Stolokaya and. Is becoming aware of like, well, the brand endures, but it's not the same yeah. thing in the bottle. Mm-hmm. So. What's in the bottle is, which is to say there is a long history of people building brands who are not producers. In mm-hmm. fact, mm-hmm. The, that's always what's going to succeed. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, so uh, Grey Goose, Casamigos. What, not, not to say that those are my aspirations, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but um, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, any, every American bourbon that was launched in the lab, not every, but, you know, mm-hmm. thousands of bourbon labels where they are not making the fucking mm-hmm. whiskey they're selling you. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Um, so, which is to say there is a schism that the, the label is not necessarily... The the label has nothing to do with the producer, so that that, that is as old as as yeah. spirit. Yeah, so yeah. all of that is to say, there's no there's no problem having a label, uh, and 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 accumulating more uh, product under the auspices of a label. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so that's a very kind of mercenary way of describing it. But 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 um, and then 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 simultaneously, like if you look at what's happened in coffee. 
I mean, this is a very parallel move. Like, coffee was there's there, you know, in the 19th century, the Industrial Revolution, trade routes, coffee is uh, everywhere. There are these industrial blends of coffee that everyone drinks, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's an explosion in the 80s of like, what if we make all of these frappuccino da, 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 on the level of recipe, right? So that's the second wave. There's the so Starbucks, Pete's. Um, Costa or whatever, you know, all mm, of these, yeah, um, yeah, you know, yeah. so, so, um, what you're, you, you know, you, you said, I'll have a, a, an oat vanilla latte, right? Like that wasn't a, a consideration yeah. 30 years yeah. ago. <laughs> so this proliferation of like recipe and, uh, and then the third wave of coffee is single origin, yeah. right? So this is all well and good. Um, but what's, what, what is the, what's the base ingredient in this? in this latte or this whatever. Mm-hmm. So people become more and more interested in, in the origin of the coffee. So um, Blue Bottle, James is a friend of mine and actually is, is on my board. They, they end up saying, well, they, they collect however many tiny artisanal producers and there's a relation there. So there's a front, you know, white label, right? So there's a, there's a Blue Bottle label and then there's there's a celebration of the origin of the producer nice. on the back label. Nice. So yeah, yeah. it's not a direct translation, and, and so Cadenheads does this, mm-hmm. right? So um, or whatever, any number of um, of uh, you know of uh, whiskey cask bottlers. Um, mm-hmm. So we're not limited to whiskey. So I've got you know that cask of Armagnac, a cask of uh, that's that's an old habit. So. Um, so getting growth along those lines of many small producers with our, with our front label and mm-hmm. their back label. Um, so again, it's not, a, it's not a unique concept, but hopefully if you have certain standards, people will appreciate them and the label will grow. Um, that's the hard part. Well, and, and just listening to you now, thinking we already live in a three-tier system in America. Right. And yeah. that that attachment of label to tell the story is the fourth tier. Yeah. Right? And and I think the dodge right now is, where can you lose a tier? And so one of our recent episodes, we covered DTC, right? Direct to consumer. Right. And and who's fighting that tooth and nail? The distributors. Absolutely. The wholesalers. Absolutely. Right? And and as you go down that path of examining, well, well, what is your role here? Right? What are you doing to get those bottles into those retailers or into those bars, right? Well, you're walking in, you're going, you know, you need your Johnny, right? You, you need your, you know, insert large brand here. I don't want to make a list of large brands. Yeah, I don't need to make enemies. Um, but but it's check 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 check. Yeah. Oh, and then we've got this little project over here. Right. Home. Right. Like that. Like that's not valuable, right? That's no. that's not, and that's a tier. That's a tier that we pay for. Exactly. So, like, I, I, sorry to cut you off, no, but please, yeah, like, please, case please. in point, like, I've just been dying. <laughs> like, I visited Daft Mill mm-hmm. ten years ago, mm-hmm. and it's just like, finally, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I can get some Daft Mill, mm-hmm. and um, but then, like, I'm going to sit down with that sales rep uh-huh. a, a week from Friday and taste through their whole line. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just. 
that's that's the courtesy, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to open an account and take take a certain, you know, so I mean, I still do that, and I'm also I have a morbid curiosity about the marketplace always. You know what I mean? Uh, as it as it passes me by, like what what is it that people are interested <laughs> in that that I'm not offering? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, you're absolutely right that. Well, and that's and, and and so and you say like, well, how are you going to do it selling? You know, it's just, what's fucking Diageo? I mean, it's 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 um, well, we've got our tequila, we've got our bourbon, we've got our, you know, and then now Diageo with a dickel, and they take the three mm-hmm. the three chamber rye and they start to blend it. I mean, that uh-huh. that moment is like like wow, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's like when the Velociraptor opens the door in <laughs> Jurassic Park. Really? It's like, um, like okay, they get, they always get it. Oh, exactly. They always get it. Exactly. They always get it. So exactly. I mean, if I can grab a street corner where it's like, look, single origin booze, uh, booze is an agricultural product, like wine, like food. If mm-hmm. you're interested in that, you know, like if you like to go to Kyoto or. Copenhagen, or you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, you like salvaged denim, you like to drink fermented teas, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> then, then this is the booze for you. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you look around. Yeah. I mean, it's like earth tones and, and you know, blonde wood, and you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. it's very, it's a very specific demographic. So, like, that's what I'm interested in, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what this is a Danish sweater, this is Japanese jeans. Um, this is a Scottish hat. Hey, yeah, welcome. There you go. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, that's like, we all know where we like to shop. So we are DTC. Um, we have the mm-hmm. ability mm-hmm. as of last week to start shipping legally. So mm-hmm. hopefully we can grab a, grab a niche and then someone will see and then you'll get an injection of capital. Brilliant. Um, maybe even be acquired if I were going to be perfect, mm-hmm. perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Um because that seems to be, yeah. So, like Blue Bottle Coffee, he's a he's a classical musician. <laughs> he starts roasting coffee in a like a countertop roaster. Fifteen years later, he sells to Nestle for seven hundred fifty million dollars. Whoa! Right. So, that's not to say that's my goal. Yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I, James has his own apprehensions about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there is something there. Do you know what I mean? There, there is an appetite for that 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 move from bourbon to rye to yeah, yeah. mezcal now to distillado de gavi. Like, okay, well, now that George Clooney has a mezcal label in addition to a tequila label, like, well, how do we get away from this? Like, yeah. well, fuck certification altogether, <laughs> declassified, right? Um, I mean, in Scotland. It's crazy, you know. It's crazy. Uh, I, I want to talk more. I want to learn more about Scotland from you. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll do my best. Um, I want to use your wardrobe to get into your book. Sure. Because when you present in your book, you're, you're in France and Cuba and Northern Ireland and Scotland. and uh, uh, it's an incomplete Joshua Hatton list that I'm just making here, but it's my point better is better than most. Right, most people <laughs> most people read half of France. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. As you can always tell, uh, oh no, how, how far people have read. Well, oh yeah, I mean, no, who reads I, books anymore? I absolutely loved it, and I've recommended it on the podcast 
previously Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and encourage people to run out and buy. And, and some of our listeners did and Thank wrote you. in and said how much they enjoyed it. So, no, I, my wife bought it as a present. I thought, oh, a restaurateur went around the world and then wrote about it. Like, yeah. Thanks, baby. Yeah. Um, and then she you ever read that book? You ever read that book? Um, oh, okay, okay. And then I cracked it. Within the first paragraph, I was in love. I, I honestly, I'm not bullshitting you. Amazing world. It just, it just took off. So, so you've got the world there. You're out exploring the world and finding these spirits. The same way you're out in the world picking up a sweater and a and a bonnet and a pair of jeans and, and you're living your life. Is the world that small to you, or are you aware of taking the time to go out and explore? The latter, okay. for sure. Okay. Yeah, the latter, for sure. I mean, I think you'd agree there's something about going to places that that's, <laughs> it's, it's just... And, and with spirits, it's so... And, and it's funny because so many times I've been somewhere and I've tasted something and I've been on a hill and uh-huh. breathing a certain air and I buy it and I come back and uh-huh. it's like it tastes like shit. <laughs> At home, but so there's a weird, uh-huh. but often, but getting a sense of, of the context. Of, this is why we never buy casks while we're in the warehouse. Exactly. We always collect the samples and exactly. take them back to our offices exactly. and taste them under yeah. the same conditions as every other cask. Exactly. That's important. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, but I also don't believe in blind tasting. I mean, there is con, there has to be context. Mm. Um, mm. Like true blind tasting, I think, I know from experience, I'll always, the thing with the most added sugar or the most, you know, <laughs> you know uh, at any rate, because uh-huh. there's a, a physiology, the body has its own agenda yeah. and it's going to react favorably to certain things on an animal level mm-hmm. that, um, I mean, it's so, f- tasting is just endlessly interesting. Yeah, agreed. Sorry, love traveling, love, <laughs> love uh the sense of place. So, so my, my, yes, what I have at home is largely built of, of things that I fell in love with in various areas. Um, yeah. You, you still hit the nail on the head a second ago. And this is what we're trying to communicate to members of the nation, where we've gone to Westland. We have, we've been at the downtown distillery. We've been at the warehouse when it was out in Hoquam, right on the edge of the Olympic rainforest. We have just recently been up in Skagit Valley and visited the Maltings and the WSU Bread Lab, um, which Dan Barber writes about in his book, right? The Third Plate, which is oh, phenomenal. Yeah. That's right? a good book. Brilliant good book, book as well, yeah. right? And then, and then we're, we're standing in a, in a field with Matt Hoffman. And everything changes when you do all of that. Yeah. Everything. But you got to sell the bottle that you selected yeah. to the consumer. Yeah. And you can't just rest it on, I had this kick-ass experience. Yeah. Right? I have to try and communicate some of that to you. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it'll, it'll fail or succeed on what's in the bottle. And, and it's interesting when you're talking about being on a hill and there's a wind coming across yeah. and there's a view of the water. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. That's not what then ends up inside That's the bottle. That's such a great point. And I actually, I thank you for reminding me of that. I need to remember that. The other arguably more democratic aspect of it is, is the apparatus of taste. I mean, mm-hmm. it, is, it, is, it is such an amazing thing. To sit with someone and to taste something is just... 
It's so intimate. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Like what, like this is in my mouth and it's in your mouth. Yeah. And I don't know if what you're experiencing is what I'm experiencing and can we figure that out or does it even matter? Right. Because we are experiencing the same thing in our own truly subjective way. And what blows my mind is I've just spent so much time and I, I know you have as well sitting with people and saying and pouring one thing and pouring another thing and pouring another thing and pouring another thing. And there is something so democratic about taste that Everyone inevitably says, oh, I'm terrible. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm, you know, like mm -hmm. just fucking relax. Mm -hmm. Let's taste a few things. Which one, which one is the most interesting? Mm -hmm. And they'll, everyone, you know, if, if people settle down and they get into their, it's like sex. If you settle down and you get into your body and you relax and there's no expectation and you're okay as you are. It's gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna get there. Do you know what I mean? Like you're gonna. So it's always like you know, like a late, like a some weird, you know, incredibly pale fifty-four percent. I mean, everyone's yeah. Everyone's uh, into 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 overproof now. So I don't want to characterize myself <laughs> that way. But you know, I remember like 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 pre pre Diageo Calila, like in a fourth fill, mm -hmm. like. Like, whoa, you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. wow. I was just seeing this two days ago yeah. tasting. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, what happens to Kalila? But, <laughs> but um, it's just that. So that, that that's the other side of it. And you don't have to go anywhere for that. That's what's so fucking cool. Is, and it doesn't have to be like, um, this is great because. Um, so... In a way, the book, the consumption, the travel—that's a—it's it, a travelogue. It's a different thing. By the way, before I get, did you ever read the Ian Banks whiskey book? Uh -huh. Disappointing. Yeah. So it was on my first read. This is raw spirit you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I grew up reading Ian Banks. Me too. Loved him. Yeah, Wasp yeah. Factory remains. Oh my God, Wasp Factory, great. <laughs> yeah, actually, that should be revisited now, shouldn't right? it? Wow. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I want my, I want my kid to be reading that. But yeah. So I so when I first got Ross Spirit, I was super excited. Me too. Here comes Ian Banks, yeah. right? I never even finished it. No. I, I just kind of faded no. out. I revisited that maybe five years ago. It was much better. I, I much wonder. better because that also the um, oh god, what's his name? The um, I mean, one of my favorite English comedians, uh, Alan Partridge. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 Steve Coogan? Yeah. Okay. The, that, do you see this, the, the, the Steve Coogan? Oh, the trip? Yeah. And then yeah. the sequel and the... Yeah, yeah. I, 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 after, I, I was like, yeah, the, the, the stuff about food is shit, <laughs> but in middle, the stuff about middle age is amazing. And I, I gotta go back to that Ian Banks book. Yes. Cause, cause here he's at yes. a certain stage of his career. Yes. I, I believe he has kids and you know what I mean? Like, well now what? And he, I, I think he's just getting a big check for that book probably. Well, but he... Died like, like how long ago has Ian Banks died from cancer? Like, ten years now, fifteen years. Is that right? And his his partner married him like on his deathbed. Um, and didn't, I honestly didn't know. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know if they did have kids. Um, 
But but in the, it, the trouble for me with that book is it, it starts out just talking about these drives yeah. through the well, countryside. And that's fucking right. Scotland, though. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. And then... Can I tell you about Scotland? Please. No, yeah. <laughs> 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 is it winding roads yeah. and sheep in the middle of those roads? Um, and so he's, he's doing the, the car thing. And it started out to me too much like Top Gear. And I'm I'm not a Top Gear fan, right? right? And I was kind of like, oh. But revisiting it, and he gets into friendships, and he gets into, again, people, right? Yeah. Take the cars out and put people yeah. in. And he talks about, you know, busting his mate's balls, you know, right. over a whiskey. Yeah. I, I definitely revisit it. I, yeah. I, I think it's worth your time. I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Um, and by the way, I mean, Scottish writers in my early, you ask about, you know, the early 90s, like, you know. Yeah, right. Ian Banks, Urban Welsh. <laughs> right. Uh, I just, just like, wow. Wow. Yeah, when train spotting came out, it was oh, revolutionary. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you make a reference to Begbie in your book? <laughs> no, no, I'm asking, I'm I, asking you like I, I the know, tiniest but, but, detail here. But Begbie, for me, that living in Ireland, I was living in Northern Ireland when, uh-huh. when and reading, I mean, reading train spotting, then Acid House, and then, uh-huh. you know, the uh-huh. other stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. And then, um, what's, uh, but at any rate, beg the, that that's a character. That's a type of person. Yes. yes. You don't quite have over here mm-hmm. the kind mm-hmm. of like the sort of the hard man, you yep. know what I mean? Yep. And it was just like yep. terrifying that, ca- that category of person is just fucking terrifying. Absolutely. Um, so I don't think I mentioned him, but really instructive so when I'm working as a bouncer and I'm like like the concept of people getting oh I talk about someone getting jarred yeah in the book so so that's probably why you think of Begbie yeah yeah there's Um, yeah there's 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 four names that you mention and and I think one's Irving Welsh and then Francis Begbie comes along at the end of the sentence because I I remember thinking like there's all and I think Sir Walter Scott you mentioned for sure yeah um, and then uh, Ivanhoe so so those those are the four names in the one sentence but just when I got to the end of that sentence and there's Francis Begbie I'm like whoa (laughs) that's right now I remember what's the Begbie reference here but but obviously you've got you know Begbie when he just tosses the glass over his shoulder and just hits the woman and and I thought they did a good job in the film kind of showing that in the sound of that exactly yeah and the joy as he he knows he's about to yeah just some go downstairs and maybe get stabbed and being encountering as I'm tall um, so that type often is looking for they're looking for a trophy they're looking for so so many times being in a pub and having someone just kind of like bump into me absolutely uh, I I just had this conversation in the, the, the Idaho woods we were morel hunting. I thought of yeah. you as I was morel hunting. I'm thinking, Thad would really dig this as well. Um, and so, so we're out there and we're not finding anything. But one of the guys is six, six, maybe. Yeah. And we got into that conversation of who goes looking for you in a bar. My brother's six, six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You're tall as well. Yeah. I'm only six, two. Yeah. And next to you, I was That's on my tall. tiptoes. Yeah. Um, You're six, eight? Yeah. And so, so there's always a head there, right? And it's how do you diffuse uh, uh, that situation? Yeah. Not how do you ramp it up? Uh, and, uh, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, yeah. And over there, um, yeah, it's just, particularly if you're in kind of remote areas. And uh-huh. anyway, it's not, uh, uh-huh. it's just an interesting, <laughs> so he's very kind of um, allegorical in that, in that sense, Begbie, like, like 
being what well, we've all, well, you haven't, but to be the naive American and to be in certain settings and like, hey, can't we all get a, you know, how's it going? Like, hey, man, like, you know, like, right, right. and there's a kind of cynicism and, and darkness right, and there's right. just, that's what's so fucking crazy, especially in Scotland right. and Northern, not to, not to unite, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, 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 um, but that's also in the book, right? Subtext. When yeah. the American tourist walks in with a big orange puffer uh, jacket yeah. and the camera hanging from yeah. his neck and he walks yeah. into the bar and Leith is, exactly. hey boys, can I use the bathroom? Right. That's and, literally a scene out of transplant. Right. Yeah, and they yeah. all just look at each other. Right. And yeah. he goes in and then they follow him in. And, yeah. and that's that moment of having your head turning, right? Be aware of where you are. Yeah. Be aware of where you're walking. Had it this morning, right? I was saying to my Uber driver, like, oh, I mapped this. I was going to just walk down here for my accommodation. And then we're driving through the heart of the tenderloin. And yeah. I'm like, like six foot two white Scotsman, right? Yeah. Right. Shining white yeah. with a, with a suitcase rolly, right. recording equipment, That's, my laptop. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. how's your June am I? Right. Oh, I'll just, I'll just walk through San Francisco yeah. and go visit Thad. Like, well, I would that, have that shit was a brick the, if I turned a corner into that. That was, well, you, you were here in 19. wasn't that the beauty of this town is it's small and right. walkable and right. you'll get some exercise on the hills right. and. I walked home yeah. last night. I was yeah. I was down in financial district. Yeah. Walked up into Chinatown. Yeah, it yeah. felt like walking through Glasgow, right? Just tight hills. I'm going up. My thighs are screaming. My yeah. quads are screaming. Yeah, I'm a wee bit drunk, um, and I'm just taking wrong turns. And I, last night I was like, "This yeah. is pretty awesome. I, I'm yeah. really digging this." This morning would have brought me back to reality. It's just a bummer. It's just uh, it's a bummer. <laughs> so <That's>... so. <laughs> So before we completely derail, and, and I do apologize for, for my own contribution, a question that I absolutely wanted to ask you when I, when I was reading your book and then revisiting it for this interview, you are so incredibly honest in this book. And, and you talk in the book about you know potential for adoption and what you and your wife mm. are going through in, in trying to start a family. You go through the sleepless nights, which check is going to bounce while I'm off doing this. How did you make that decision? Or maybe you didn't, right? Maybe it's just in you. How did you come to be that honest and that transparent in the book? Well, um, I found the act of writing super cathartic. It was, the stress was, like I said, I was diabetic. I weighed 50 pounds more than I do now. I was just carrying a lot of stress. Mm. And... and um, like a lot of us, I mean, I think I had always thought. Anyway, just to, to start writing is, an, is a therapeutic exercise, as, as I'm, I'm sure you've experienced. So uh, I was just generating stuff. I had to generate copy because um, we sold the book and then I had to write the book <laughs> and I had an editor. And so I was just like what felt best to get on, get out was what was going on. And these, you know, these, there's... Um, yeah, it's just such so much of my life for ten years were these amazing transformative trips that were escape, and then the reality of of, of you know the material reality of of, of making the business work. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. you're generous and astute to ask to keep asking like, well, how do you make it work? It's like <laughs> yeah, like how do you how do you turn this beautiful stuff into a living? But mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. shorter answer is, I just wrote some of that stuff, and and the editor said more and mm-hmm. so there was a real and I, I think that I'd, I did I sort of deceived myself that whatever what I write is not necessarily what 
will go in the book. Uh-huh. And um, so I kind of let myself just 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 write. You know yeah. what I mean? In, in, in that sense. And um, this. And um, so that's how. And the stuff about adoption is still feels like, uh, you know, like basically like I'm mad at my mommy and my, you know, like it just feels like it's very, it's uh, very embarrassing. You know what I mean? Like, which, which I'm told is probably a sign that there's, you know, it's worth it. Like, what does that have to do? You know, having a shit day and, yeah. uh, and uh, being angry at your mom because of some aspect of the uh, uh-huh. adoption process. Uh-huh. Cause yep. you can't conceive. Yep. And anyway, it just, uh, but it's those, I believe that when you taste something beautiful or you're in a beautiful place, I mean, these, there are no transformative high points of life without the fucking squalid mediocrity of life. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? There's not one without the other. And that's the beauty of the human condition. I don't want to say that this was, this was like, I'm going to set out to capture this or even to be so arrogant as to say that I have, but it's just like the, the transformative, beautiful moments, you know, and the and the the both are t- we're here to enjoy both. You know what I mean. <laughs> so um, yeah. But uh, but you but you have a moment in here where you know you've you've been snippy to your your stepfather. Oh yeah, Le- yeah. Lester. Lester. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, uh, and and sh- I guarantee you he'll listen to this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and then you've got that moment where you're you're basically describing your inner monologue to the reader, and and saying like. Why did I, I love this man dearly? He he laughed in a way, and I snapped. Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah. Like, but but you're sharing that with the reader. Yeah. And that's the inner monologue stuff that you didn't have to. Yeah. But was that a way for you to kind of explore yourself Ex- again? Oh, of course. And, and say like, why? Yeah. Why do I do? Because of course, you know, you, yeah. You seem like a lovely man, and, and we're having a lovely time. And I already sent you a heart emoji today. Yes. So we got to a day. great start yeah. before meeting. Uh, yeah. Made my day. But but do do you do you vacillate between that? For sure. Here's the guy who's always on and and raising money and talking to the board, and here's the guy who's able to you know kick the desk today. Or were you ever a wall puncher growing up? Was that? <laughs> Did punch wall a couple times, yeah, yeah. There, there was a hole in, in plaster for that as a teenager, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. no, you're you you keep answering the questions uh, more concisely than I, and in the way I would like to, which is yeah, it was a selfish exercise. I didn't know when I'd get to write a book again, and I definitely took it as an opportunity to understand my work and and myself better. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, absolutely. But for me, that's why it works, right? Thank like, you. Like, like I'm saying, you know, when I look at this and it's restaurateur travels the world mm-hmm. talking about yeah. his adventures, you know, it would be easy to go down the path of only the good shit, right? The the Facebook life, the Instagram life, yeah. right? I, I'm not. I'm no longer on social media. When I was, how good for you? I would. I would try to post the other stuff, yeah. right? Or, especially on Facebook. Here's something shitty my kid yeah. did today, or oh. here was my shitty response to something shitty my kid did today. Yeah. Right. Instagram was maybe a little harder to, to put that out there, but it's impossible. Right. right. It's impossible. <laughs> By design. Yeah, right? people are like, huh? Right. Yeah. And 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 then to go into that kind of Instagrammable side of of living. 
it would be easy to write that book that says this is sunshine and roses constantly yeah. and, and on the home front, you know, it's all great and my professional. And you didn't do that. And like the trip that you're mentioning earlier with, with Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, like Steve Coogan, and I know he's playing a version of himself. I hear it. I hear it's accurate. Right, yeah, right. He, yeah. He's not afraid to present right. himself exactly. as the asshole exactly. or the guy who's going through things. He's fighting with middle age and, yeah. you know, trying to, and successfully hooking up with the, the woman, the young woman on the front desk, right? Yeah. Like atrocious behavior that we're rejecting in 2023 that we were rejecting when that was coming up. But he uses that to say, I'm imperfect, right? Yeah. Now, isn't that a wonderful corollary to the spirits that we imbibe as well, right? And I know one of the things you rail against in the book is this consistent factory manufactured potato head. I love when you said that earlier. Potato head, mash bill, yeast, you know, production. But isn't it sometimes wonderful to get access to the imperfect? Like, oh, yeah. Like the Craigellicky that's meaty, yeah. maybe too meaty. Yeah. You know, a Ben Nevis and a Sherry cast that's maybe yeah. gone a bit farty or a bit matchsticky, right? Right. Like, I, I love those moments. It doesn't have to be clean and crisp and precise all the time. Like, go and explore it a little bit. And do you ever, do you ever, do you ever consider that on your... Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, what the fuck is going on with this one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, or like, yeah, yeah I, 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 all, all the examples yeah. you give. Right. Imperfections are... That's not even the, the right yeah, word. Right. But, but right. Um, yeah, that's... You learn so much from, like, what, what is that? And if you can taste with someone that can explain to you the aspect of production, and so much of it is in, yeah, if you're tasting through through scores of casks, it's like, especially in, in Scotland when you've got like, all oh, your first, second, third fill, uh -huh, different uh -huh. woods and different uh -huh. sizes, uh -huh, and it's like, uh -huh. it's just like, oh man, it's endless, <laughs> endless, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. And what's so interesting is like, <clears throat> we saw a natural wine, everyone, got interested in that exact thing. I have so many friends in the wine trade who hate natural wine because they're just, why are it? You know, there are all of these perfect <laughs> wines with great typicity that, you know, and now all, all anyone wants to drink is like, you know, volatile acidity and accidental carbonation and you know what I mean? Like, um, and that's why, because it's like, it brings you into how was it made and what, why was it made and where was it made? And it's like, oh, so those, what we might call flaws, they're so instructive and they pull you into the whole, you know, history of the wine from, mm -hmm. from when it was in the earth to when it was in your glass. So I think tasting through the evolution of, of the product, mistakes or, or uh, un, unusual Aspects are, are really what, what can be so instructive. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely, you say, it, you say it perfectly. But I'm sort of waiting for people in spirits to have the same, like, yeah, don't you want to taste? And I think, don't you want to taste something unusual? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. That's, and yeah. like, um, but not quite yet. And a big part of it is that sort of the illusion of cask bottlings that, that's happening with uh, now every every bourbon produce, producer has their own single cask 
program mm -hmm. and you know mm -hmm. and um, it's just sort of like that IPAification of of it you know what yeah. I mean so yeah. it's hard to find people like is it smooth yeah. you know, like, like uh, no you know what I mean you're right yeah, yeah no it's yeah. spiky it's yeah. wonderful give it yeah. a try yeah. <laughs> go and explore some yeah. other aspect of yeah. that um, I keep waiting for that curiosity to proliferate as it has in wine um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or even sours that there's a moment in beer um, fermentation mm -hmm. you know that was very very fashionable but it very quickly gets subsumed back into this kind of like in the United States is this cleanliness and this this um, uniformity and right so consistency yeah consistency replicability exactly. yeah right like yeah um, you bring Mark Watt into the book yeah uh, and Mark Watt is a very very dear friend oh I was hoping you knew him I was <laughs> very just dear you say the most wonderful thing about him you say I've met him before or about to meet him again, all the jokes are going to be the same. And I don't care. That's part of the charm. Mark, Mark, Mark is a regular listener of the podcast. Oh, well, so. hello, Mark. You're one of the greatest people I've ever met in this business. Yeah. He, he's, he's masterful. Absolutely masterful. He's a, he's a wonderful fellow. But I just thought you captured him so well. And I think when I, when I was reading this, I was only just back from Campbelltown or I was just about to go to Campbelltown. And when you get there in the book and you're about to go see Mark, it just, it made everything personal, you know, for, for me uh, in the book. And you talk about Raymond at Brookladdy when you yeah. saw him. And, and I'm, I'm not friendly with him, yeah. you know, but, but anytime I'm at the distillery, there's Raymond. How are you doing? What's the latest? What's the news? And, and he's got a line that you quoted in the book, which is... Um, to afford all of Brookladdy's lineup when they were still kind right. of reopening and, and right. discovering what they were, Raymond said you'd have to be a fucking billionaire. Yeah. And that's in the book. And I thought that's so perfectly captured as well. So what it did for me was you're so precise in two of the people that, that I knew personally that it made me feel like the rest of these people you were presenting, I fully trusted you. Like, if he got these two so accurate that I know, I bet those ones that I don't know are accurate. And it, it, it made me feel, and I hope this is the right word, but it made me feel so safe in your book. Again, not the restaurateur going around the world waxing lyrical, right? It was like, no, he's capturing people. Yeah. He's understanding people. He's listening to people. And I think that is commendable. I think the way you did that was really impressive. So oh. you should pat yourself on the back for that. Thank you. That uh, Yeah, I mean, it's means the world to me because you know Mark and it's I don't know that he would ever understand and we and talking about that like gosh just being the dumb American and and um you know and he has to just do this for a living and just over and over and over and over <laughs> again and um yeah it's amazing but so instructive to taste in that warehouse with him a couple of times like Incredible. There was one more question that I wanted to ask you, or at least that I wanted to make sure I covered before I get out of here. And now I've been thinking about Mark Watt. Mark Watt was one of our original episodes. We're in our seventh season of this podcast. And he was like episode two or three. I always forget the exact number. Yeah. Um, while he was still with Cadenheads. And we've had people tell us, like industry people tell us, they will go to that episode with a new hire and they'll say, listen to this interview. Listen to Mark Watt there. You will know 
80, 90% of everything we need you to know if you listen to Mark Watt there. I'm not kidding. No kidding. <laughs> it's absolutely phenomenal. It's in his blood. I mean, that's, you know, the story of McAllen and he was born at McAllen. Right, and, uh, right. It's hilarious. I mean, <laughs> the trade. I mean, the trade is so beautiful and it's such a trade. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Scott, yeah, some, yeah. That's the the the, the mercantilism uh-huh. of Scotch is uh-huh. so it's its own aesthetic, like moving this shit around in different containers, right. and it's right. so amazing. It's just endless, and I just feel like, God, if people, it's so interesting, and and you're interested in this, and you're interested in that. If you could just get a little more interested, you you would it would blow your mind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you wouldn't need the you know the 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 umpteenth expression of Lafroig or Lagavulin or you know it's just uh-huh. like uh-huh. yeah and it's that's that it's that humanity that is being just like forced out of out of the the trade that, you know what I mean that's exactly it exactly which then gets a little concerning as we discover new categories and they then get bigger yeah. And how does our discovery and sharing of them yeah. squeeze the humanity out of what they had? Yeah. Like, in, like in some instances, you know, in, in, in you know, so many places you've you've gone, if we can help people help themselves out of poverty, right? What 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 a brilliant thing, right? But oh shit, now we've now we've got you mass producing something that was incredibly delicate, but I don't think we shouldn't. I don't think we should keep you in poverty so that we can keep having that artisanal spirit. Like, that seems like a mistake in the other direction. And we're back to balance again, right? Yeah. It's not grow or die. It's what's a meaningful level of sustainability here. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that we need to grapple with. That's the part we need to get right. No, it's true. It's such an interesting question. Um, it wasn't a question; it was a statement. But it was a, an, it was a yet another astute statement. But I think of like two places. I think of of um, Oaxaca, and I think of France. And France, there is this like cognac. Like it's, it's my it, in so many ways, it's my least favorite and and my most favorite spirit. But you have. The four big houses, basically, everyone just grows and sells to them. They add a shitload of caramel. They, mm-hmm. you know, they they age stuff two years in God knows what. Throw caramel in it, call it a VS, and mm-hmm. and sell it. You know, in those neighborhoods you're walking through, like. But there's this mm-hmm. stability in cognac that you don't see in any other producing area where cognac producers, you know, yeah, they sell every. He may sell his whole load to, to Hennessy every year, but, you know, he's got a Citron and he takes a vacation mm-hmm. and there's a kind of stability that you have to, mm-hmm. and everyone likes it, you know, and everyone loves caramel, you know, and everyone loves, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 it does well. Um, so there's, I mean, that's like 300 years in, right? Yeah. Uh, so in a way, the category's destroyed. Uh, it's very hard to get people to, to drink grower, producer, cognac that has no added boise or caramel. You know what I mean? This is mm-hmm. very, very hard. Just very, and and the, you know, it's all only blanc, and it's not that interesting. You know what I mean? So, um, but there is stability in that region, and and the 
but arguably these are all landowners and anyway it's complicated mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. It, it just brings it brings to mind those like yeah you know what i mean not everyone can be a revolutionary distiller you know you know, telling everyone to fuck off and making their own. I don't know if you've encountered the um, the French uh, natural booze people. You encounter them at all? No. Oh, it's really funny. They're sort of like, there's a manifesto, and I'll send you a link. Oh, okay. Yeah, very earnest, young and earnest. Uh-huh. You remember the dogma uh-huh. film? Wow, yeah, Stuff. long time ago. Sure, sure. Remember the Dogma Manifesto? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You will not use artificial light. You will not use, you know, um, it's it's very much like that. Yeah, like, yeah, and everything yeah. else yeah. is bullshit. Yeah. So that, I tend to move in that direction and, uh-huh. and alienate people. And it's like, what are you, uh-huh. it's just a drink. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. sorry. Balance, this, right? It's right. all balance. So not everyone can be like that. And it's, you know, I, I've suffered at the instability of this business. So I, I totally understand. And then you see uh, uh, in Oaxaca, the other region where tequila's dead, mm-hmm. much in the way that cognac is kind of dead, like mm-hmm. it's just co-opted. It's owned by, you know, the big four own everything. And um, that's it. And NOMs, are, they're, they're all, it's just like a bunch of MGDs where, mm-hmm. where it's like I make 45 different tequilas for 45 different labels. And yep. you, know, you yep. know the drill. Yep. But... In Oaxaca, I say Oaxaca, but with with um, you know with mezcals and and now just declassified yep. distillados, you're seeing a really kind of revolutionary and and inspiring sort of um, movement. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. they're all very competitive with each other, so there's not this kind of oh really cohesion. That's my experience. Okay. You know, like um, but the, but everyone they're sort of like enough. You know what I mean? I'm tired of watching. George Clooney make a mezcal and as long as it's certified as a mezcal no one cares yeah. because it's going to be yeah. marketed yeah. and you know what I mean yeah. so that was starting so tequila that had been blown out like yeah. Paul Mitchell likes this so he's going to buy it yeah. and sell it and it doesn't matter so we we switch who makes it over and over and over again we can buy you know like yeah. with bourbon so at any rate yeah. um, but we're seeing producers saying like fuck that this is my production. I don't even need the certification. Um, it's super cool. Yeah. Super cool. But then what do you do with that wild sourced agave that yields, you know, a run of 60 bottles that you're then coming out and telling that story? And, and we're back to that scalability again. But it it's not even to the point of how do you sell this consistently, but how do you make it worth your while bringing that into the three-tier slash four-tier system, putting that out for, you know, $250 a bottle to, to make sure everyone gets a, a fair cut, fair oh, representation. God. That's why I love that, like, I love it when the New York Times has an article about, we tasted 20 mezcals, all between 30 and 60 bucks a bottle. Like, <laughs> fuck you, you're destroying. You think you're being unpretentious. You know what I mean? You right? Think, right? Yeah, you think right. you're being like man of the earth, but you're being a fucking asshole. Like, you're totally devaluing the whole industry yeah. and championing the yeah. people that are fucking destroying it. It's yeah. sort of like, I just always remember, like, give me Paps Blue Ribbon. Like, oh, we don't have Paps Blue Ribbon. Oh, pretentious asshole. Like, <laughs> what are you saying? Like, if you know, like, Anyway, um, it's just that kind of, that kind of how they succeed in marketing. Like, well, anything expensive is bullshit. Anything expensive is pretentious. Anything expensive is is um, 
that 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 uh, that self righteous rejection of anything. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, so if you yeah. spot if, if you know, people will buy if you buy a two hundred fifty dollar bottle of something, it'll last you fifteen fucking years. You can have a half ounce by the fire. <laughs> And it'll transform a whole evening. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, lift your spirit, yeah, right? Like, right. And, and you'll buy 45 cases of, of Bud Light, in, and, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'll get more units of alcohol. Right. Um, but what's a unit of alcohol? And, oh, and, and anyway, who the hell knows? Yeah, yeah you I'm, get what I'm saying. I'm not on board with that one. But but, but, but I think that if you've... But, tra- sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please finish. To answer your question, <laughs> what's, there's a stewardship of... Uh, the, the 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 wild the single wild agave, yeah. I mean that that stuff really should cost at least five hundred bucks a bottle, right? And it basically doesn't exist right. anymore. But they are the the stewardship of 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 the agriculture of of agave is is something that you know. Well, we grow only from seed, and we grow only varieties that are of this region, and we ferment a certain way. And there is a kind of, hey, these are all productions. These are all man-made, human-made things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, the ways in which they're like, it's going to grow, it's already outgrown that kind of agrarian mythology, right? Um, but it doesn't mean it has to become like scotch or cognac, right? Yes. Uh, so th- this is of the region. We are we are taking seeds from the, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like absolutely and uh, absolutely because that's 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 the heartbreaking thing about Scotch is there there's no and Scotch trades on it so beautifully. I mean, the, I love the uh, <laughs> the map of Scotland and the Highlands and the Lowlands uh-huh. and the space uh-huh. of, like like okay. It's all the same, <laughs> and they're turning dials to create the illusion of it. But, but even, even though there will be often a different still and a different water source, but the same malt, the same, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even those two aspects of place will, will make a real difference. Um, but sorry, the region, I just can't, I mean, I wonder what it was like 200 years ago, Scotch, you know what right, I mean? Where you right. go into a pub in the middle of, on, on Orkney and right. you taste the thing, you know, probably pretty rough and ready and yeah. probably burned all the way down. Yeah. And, yeah. and was that real stuff that people think, you know, I, I was commenting on this the other night about people making the whiskey face, you know, in a movie or a TV show. And right. I'm like, it's 40% alcohol. It's 60% right. water. Like, Go right. up, like yeah. there's nothing attached to that. But I, I think that old stuff would have had you doing the whiskey face. That's a very good uh, point. That makes real. me think about the whiskey face a different way, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, not only is it forty percent alcohol, but it's distilled to eighty four percent. Like it's this is yeah, it's um, right the proof, yeah. right? And so, but but you actually just gave me the perfect in there, and, and I'm a couple of points, and I remembered the one that that I forgot when I started talking about Mark, which is classic when you start thinking about Mark. Have you had a chance to read Dave Broom's new book, A Sense of Place, that has, it's kind of like a photojournalistic piece. I haven't. I will say that his rum book was super mm-hmm. transformative for me mm-hmm. long ago, and, mm-hmm. and the, the Japanese whiskey book is super cool. Like he's, one right. of, he's one of my favorite writers, right. um, and right. I haven't, so I'm make, excited make, to. Make time for it, yeah. because he's... And we've been talking about a little bit, and I do not want to belabor the point here because I think we've we've suggested it as we've gone along, and I'm, I'm going to leave the listener to feel suitably informed there. But terroir is making its way into whiskey conversations, and, and we're starting to ask people along the way, like, 
What do you think? Like, put your stall out. Where are you on that? And I, I think that's the part I think we've covered well today. But there's a way Dave Broom talks about a sense of place, that talks about people, that talks about artisans, that talks about uh, a production technique that, while is replicatable, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Each, I've now said it twice and I'm nervous each time. Can it be replicated, right? It goes to Ardna Merkin, right? Yeah, okay, what are you doing here? How are you doing it? I haven't been there yet. Right? Yeah. Well worth your time. Is well it, well worth it. I can't tell you, like you read it, is this bullshit or is this awesome? No, yeah. it's, I, yeah. I think it's the real deal. I, I think they're doing a lot of things right. Yeah. And But but then they've got the sea right there and a bay and the coast and your Lefroigs and your Lagavulins, your, some of your Highland Parks, not all that are being matured outside Glasgow, right? And we're saying, like, oh, you can taste the sea. Yeah, yeah, right. it, Maritime. Yeah, it crossed it yeah. in a tanker yeah. um, <laughs> and went to Glasgow and got filled into casks yeah. And, yeah. and hasn't really seen the sea in its life. Yeah. But, but there is something, there is a salinity going on, the distillate that yeah. I still love, love, love. Um, well, Diageo Malting is right on the coast. Right, yeah. right, right, right there. And so, <laughs> but, you know, and things are changing there as well. Um you know, how the contracts are being fulfilled, but... Oh, interesting. Right? But, but, but to the point, there is a, there is a sense of place, right? You, you, can, you can see the sense of place. You can meet the people who are producing it and rolling the casts and Arden and Merkin are, are storing right there. And I, I think you and I, again, reading the book and talking to you today, I think you and I are continually vacillating between... How do we find that small producer doing something really well? And how far up the ladder are we willing to go on economies of scale? You know, I'm still buying my Lafroigs. I'm still buying my Lagavulins. I'm still, I'm still very much a part of that end. But you talk about Avenderg in the, in the book, right? And there's a teeny, tiny... I have not. Oh. I have not been there. Yeah. Um, I have been with Francis at Daff Mill yeah. and gone through that. Oh, it's like seeing a ghost. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But, but, it, but I don't think... This is why I was kind of asking you the Mescal question a second yeah. ago, is, or the Agave question, is I don't think we can build a Scottish industry on the back of of Avenderig and, yeah. and and and, no. and and Daff Mill, right? There needs to be that compromise to Agreed. the Rose Isles and and the Girvan plant that Agreed. has Isles of Bay inside of it. And, Agreed. And it's just always searching out that balance and where can Agreed. we reside and where can we be proud of what we're presenting to be, whichever country it comes from. Agreed. How can we be proud of that and talk to the people who made it? And I know you're on board with that. And I know you communicated that in your book and in your, your I, I don't want to say concept in case that's a rude word, but... No, it's fine. But, but Just it's, don't say expression. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And, and how you present your work with Bar Agricole and, and others that you've developed. Mm. Right. That, that's that's what I see when when I look at you and I read your words. And that's where I wish you success, because we're grappling with the same things. Yeah. Yeah. Can I respond to that? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I know there's not a question again, but we're just having a no, conversation. No, 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 because it's so accurate and it's so um, and I know we've touched on this, but. Wine is an accident, right? Mm. Like wine happen will happen mm. no matter what. But but spirits human beings have to be involved mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they have to be by mm -hmm. definition. It mm -hmm. cannot happen by accident. 
So there's something really they they are they are industrial, they are made. Yeah. Uh, so that, that aesthetic of like, hey, I just throw some grapes <laughs> in the bucket and here we go the wine, it's, look at that, you know, it's just like, it doesn't exist. So, so it's, a, it's a different aesthetic, right? Yeah. So it's like human, there is no non-interventionist yeah. Yeah. spirit. Right. So exactly, like, well, that's what? That's well said. And that's so, like, okay, so what has the human being done here? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's fascinating, and it's sort of getting on the level of like, well, you know, a cask that's farty, or you know what yeah, I mean, or, yeah, or like. Yeah. Uh, so, I agree, and then it's also the 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 mercantilism to use a word I've already used, but mm-hmm. of spirits, it's so like it's it connects us. It it only really starts to connect us. You and me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in our different countries, mm-hmm. when it becomes a product and it becomes traded. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I'm much less cynical about. I mean, I need to make a living that way. But, but where do you, where do you find, where do you fall on that spectrum? Um, and I agree. So, and I think so many people actually are, are quicker to the to that aesthetic that you know the the, the 19th century. Or even 18th century, like you know, um, this is fresh off a clipper ship, and you know the Medford rum, and I have yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah. a lump of sugar, and I there's limes from Peru, and what is it? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like that kind yeah. of it's mercantilism yeah. and it's industry and it's uh, there and coffee is that way also. Like yeah. it's like chocolate commodities market. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's there's. I find all of that beautiful, and that's and that's novels and and and, uh-huh. and 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 films and histories, and I agree that you're you're so right to end in championing that aesthetic, and it would be a mistake with spirits to say all we should drink is Abinger, <laughs> like because they don't they're 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 also they don't make enough, and they don't they love not selling it to you, right? Uh, right, which is so funny. All right. All right, last question. We're out yeah. of here. This is this is an easy peasy one. That has me an easier question to, or maybe maybe it won't be. Are we getting another book out of you? Oh, um, I would like to, hundred percent. I think it's I think it's the thing I would most like to do. Yeah, um, trying to get the work to a stability to to to, to pitch another book. Honestly, right. yeah. So, right. um, yeah, for sure. And I think I'd like to. Yeah, talk more. I mean, this business is just, there's a lot of, yeah, it's just a messy business. I think there's there's more to be. And, and, and like, I don't know, the, the during this, you know, the these shows, it's just there's more and more of these shows, like you say, and these books of, like, Stanley Tucci eating <laughs> carbon, like, this kind of just rhapsodic bullshit, you know what I mean? Like, um and I think Anthony Bourdain's suicide is something that needs to be considered. You mm-hmm. know, I think that I feel sad for him uh-huh. because I think he was in so much pain. But there hasn't been another, not to imply that that I, I'm that voice because yeah, that yeah, voice yeah. is so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. That, but that sort of like, how do you talk about what's beautiful while being honest? And and um, it's probably worth trying again. You know. Um, yep. And, and yep. I like the act of writing. What about you? 
I, I would love to. I've, I've wanted to write a book for 20 years. I'd read it. And, and, and spend so much time on the day-to-day -day business. Yeah, it's incredible. You don't get a writing day. And then my, my kids are now 16 and 13. For the last you know, 16 and 13 years, that hasn't been an easy ride. No. Uh, and I, I remember reading Raymond Carver, you know, would, would write oh. short stories at night when his kids went to bed. Right. right. I did want to ask you a more geeky question. It doesn't have to be on the record oh, here. But, but, you know... His editor has kind of come more to the fore as the yeah. years have gone along. Yeah, like, right? well, it was actually me. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah. and, and you see yeah. what Raymond Carver was sending yeah. in, and yeah. then you see the edits that were being yeah. made. And when you mentioned an editor earlier, yeah. I was like, did your editor tease out of you what you wanted? You know, you said, well, we sent them this, and that was well received, and, and so I, I kept writing more of that stuff. Did you feel like you ended up being the person on the page? Did you no, very much so. have a, a role in that? No, very much so. Her name is em Emily Timberlake, by the way. And, oh and uh, no, it was, I can't believe how little it was shaped. Yeah. And I, I should, I was probably being di more diffident than I should. Uh -huh. um, but I was like, well, fuck it. I, this, who knows when I'll get to do this again? Like yeah, you said. Yeah. I don't know why everything lined up. Like I had certain quality of employee and people were running different places. And it's like, I just go to the coffee shop and I'd write for four hours twice a week. It's just like, God, now it just sounds like such bliss. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I said, the I young family, yeah. the end of the night, the balance right. in the books. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's um, a lot, man. It's hard. So uh, I had, and I'd written enough. I'd had enough of a writing practice to know that, that, the shit has to line up and yeah. it's lined up now and I've sold a book yeah. and, and you know <laughs> that's rare and to sell too who knows so uh -huh. I did I did selfishly make make you know you always think I could have done more I could have done yeah, sure. and there's talking sure. about like sure. trade and you know but um, they needed me to finish it and, and I'm late you know distracted and as you've yeah, yeah. we're all busy but yeah. you know that my timeliness for me and, and, and punctuality and stuff like that historically difficult anyway long story I would love to know she really I was like really this is what we're going to sell because it felt <laughs> it felt this is what we're going to print but very yeah it felt pretty raw and pretty personal and uh, not like the kind of thing that, that you described where you know like isn't this the life? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, you yeah. write it. I'll, I'll be reading it. Oh, likewise. Uh, I'm really, I'm not blowing smoke. I've loved your take on the industry. Cheers, and I look, I look forward to talking Cheers. to you again. Yeah. You can expect many more heart emojis coming from me. Likewise. I, yeah, I hope we can, this can be the beginning of a friendship. Is a hundred percent cool? Absolutely. Great. Which yeah. is what, which is what I got from your book, right? That you were writing about friends, yeah. friends who are yeah. in the industry, yeah. producing. A hundred percent. Yeah. Beautiful. Don't be a stranger. Uh, I'm excited to darken your door again. Likewise. Uh, and thanks a million for today. Yeah. Absolutely. Cheers, brother. Huge thanks, not just to Thad Vogler. Uh, but to Jason for doing the, the one-man show. He's so good um, with his interviewing. I've, listen, can we, can we say this quietly? Maybe he won't listen if we Ready just kind quietly. of whisper in ASMR hushed tones. <laughs> I honestly think that Jason is one of the best interviewers out there. 
period. I think he's he's so inquisitive. And I mean, granted, it helps when you've got a good, uh, you know, interviewee like Thad and, and you know, some of the others that, that Jason has spoken with. But he's so inquisitive and he he doesn't take notes. He takes mental notes and he's so good at calling back to mm-hmm. some of the things that, that the interviews have, have spoken about. And he's so good about not having an end point and just allowing the conversation to just go where it needs to go, depending on the content of it. And so, listen, uh, that I'm, I'm done complimenting him because there's just way too many compliments. That was, that was touching. I'm welling up here. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> we need to have made him a prize. I feel like you should be handing him an award at the end of this sentence. I'm not. I'm absolutely um, not disagreeing with you. In fact, I'm frightened by how he interviews because I feel like it's very reassuring. You're listening along, being like, "That is a great question. I would have loved to have thought of that." Do you think he was secretly trained in espionage? You know, that kind of like. I feel like you could have a conversation with Jason and walk away being like, "Oh, I gave him all of the state secrets." Whoops. All of them. Well, you left him in your in your bathroom. That's the problem. Yeah. I um, keep doing that. <laughs> But uh, but listen, enough enough talking about Jason. I've got a really important question for you, Jess. Okay, let's do it. We're talking about the trip. Before, right, right. Steve Coogan, Rob Brydon. In the first movie, and also in in the in in the TV show, because right, wasn't the first movie sort of a a condensed version of the series? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, in that movie, there's this great scene. I think it may be the first restaurant they go to, where they are trading. They're Michael Caine impressions. <laughs> oh no! I'm wearing. And the now that I'm wearing my Michael Caine glasses, and everybody knows that my name is Michael Caine. <laughs> I would love to hear, and and you know, I I would argue, Jess, that the listeners want to hear Jessica Rabbit Lomas's own Michael Caine impression. This is horrendous. I honestly, she's <laughs> uh, <sighs> gonna get me removed from my own. Country. You don't have to. Like, don't feel pressured. But everybody wants to hear it. Everybody. I don't actually think I could do it, Mike. Mm. Mm. Are you wanting the classic line? I think you could do that because that. I mean, it really is a shortcut. I can't. Outside of saying, "My name is Michael Caine." <laughs> And say, which is terrible, and saying something about blow the bloody doors off. Like, it's all terrible, but like, like, think of a line. I feel like this podcast has taken a terrible turn. These listeners are not here to hear me not be able to do my own accent. We took a terrible turn in season one. Like, we're just... (laughs) Well, actually, if the listeners go back to season one, they can hear my excellent American accent, which develops out of literally nowhere. Oh, that's right. That was the Jubilee episode, right? Yeah. I honestly, you had to send me the time codes. I didn't recognize myself. Which, 
that's great. Okay, Michael Caine. Uh, that's that famous line, isn't it, from the Italian job? <sighs> yeah, Avenue's supposed to blow the bloody doors off, which is pretty. Oh, that's, that, that, mm, I feel like I could do better, better if I'd had yeah, some drinks. If you'd warm me up and mm-hmm. let me have like five pints of something first. <laughs> uh, All right. What did you say? Uh, my name is Michael Caine. I can't do London. Oh, that's it's not good. I've not heard your Michael Caine, but I assume it would be something along the lines of, my name's Michael Caine. That is where you are so wrong. And you can look at my live video for proof, because that's the very thing I don't do. I say that he used to talk like that. Do you, Michael Caine? Okay. I say, Michael Caine used to talk like this in the 1960s, right? But that has changed. And I say that over the years, Michael's voice has come down several octaves. Let me finish. And all of the cigars and the brandy don't let me finish can now be heard. Okay. In the, I've not fucking finished in the back of the voice and the voice okay. now. Will, I've still not finished the voice. Well, you're panicking. I've, yeah, no, because you look stop. like you're about to bloody talk. Let me finish. Before we hit record, you said you had a bit of news to share with people uh, on the ROW side, rest of the world side. Mm. Um, is it enough to call the paper boy? Well, I don't get to interrupt the paperboy sleep very often, so, you know. I am also a big sister, and that seems like an obnoxious kind of thing big sisters do. So I say, yeah, go ahead, give him a little prod. Be like, wake up. I think you gave him the prod he needs. Extra, extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, 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 read all about it. Me and that Playboy in trouble. So, uh, my uh, paperboy... Um, announced news was really about places that you can find um, SCN if you happen to be in the UK. There is a fantastic whiskey festival that I will be pouring whiskey and selling some of our lovely new bottles and maybe some archive stock that I'll sneak along. Um, And this is called the North East Indie Whiskey Festival and that's in Newcastle. Um, It's set up Mm -hmm. by a guy called Carl who has a fantastic group on Facebook that I recommend everybody joins even if you're not in the North East. And they run a great uh, whiskey festival um, it's also in a brewery. So who doesn't want to be at a whiskey Ooh. festival in a brewery? It's too good an offer to refuse. So um, Carl's group, they have organized this festival, which I think is, this is their second, maybe third. But they've, um, um, he approached me last year and we didn't have any of our mm. stock. It didn't work. So um, I will be taking our lovely new ROW bottles uh, to Newcastle. So I recommend that you go and check them out. That is on Saturday the 2nd of September. September is a very busy month for whiskey things uh, because we'll be doing a quick flit to Newcastle uh, and then I'm going to come home and then I'm going to head off to Maltstock for a very Mm. relaxed weekend. Mm -hmm. Very relaxed. Uh, Very relaxed. Don't ask me what I'm taking with me. One, because maybe I don't know yet. And two, that's not a very relaxed thing to do to ask somebody. So... Have I said relaxed <laughs> enough yet for tune? So that's in the Netherlands. For those of you, I don't know how, if you're in the whiskey community and you haven't seen uh, the aggressive graffitiing of the Maltstock team, who are currently, as we're recording, in, I think they're here in Campbelltown. They'll be sticking those flyers oh, up everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, like in all good children's uh fairy tales where they leave like crumbs for trails in tune's case mm. it's just endless uh flyers for malt stock 
That's how it's you know just been flyers there. that say relax. Yeah. You just follow all the flyers that say relax, and you'll you'll find your way to the malt stock camping ground. Yeah, I would like to see them in airports, just encouraging people to relax as they're heading to malt stock <laughs> through one of the most stressful airports in the world. Um, so that is the eighth to the tenth of September. So for those and yeah single cast nation friends who are not in the UK but want to do some single cast nation drinking so that's that weekend Uh, I am also hosting an event here in just outside of Glasgow Um, to those of you who have been travelling through Scotland um, it's a restaurant that's getting real notoriety it's called The Artisan and it's in Mm, Wishaw for those of you who have come to Glasgow and asked Glaswegians about a famous whiskey restaurant in Wishaw, I apologise in advance for the look that you will get from most people. Wishaw is not the most highly regarded tourist destination on the West Coast, but Derek and his team run a fantastic restaurant and they have one of the biggest whiskey collections and open whiskey collections I think you can drink and work mm-hmm. your way through. Um, mm-hmm. He's got a great whiskey Padawan. Raf is um, helping to put everything on QR codes so that the poor souls don't have to keep updating whiskey menus. So it's yeah. great. And it's got, uh, you'll have seen pictures um, of their whiskey lounge. It's phenomenal. Like the amount of whiskey they have is unbelievable. Um, and it and now focuses on Brooklyn, right? Yeah, so Derek is like a massive uh, Brooklady collector, fan, supporter, creator of Octomore barbecue sauce. Um, mm. Also, um, he is the cause of mischief when he um, works with uh, James Brown at Octomore Farm and they release these Octomore Farm bottlings. Um, and for the Friends of Brooklady group that Derek runs, along with uh, his pal Ian Garrett, they... Um, release regular bottles so maybe even listeners of the podcast will have talked to me in my non-single castination hat because I ship a good chunk of those bottles for the Friends of Procladi group as well so if actually that reminds me there are bottles pending waiting so if you're sat waiting for those and you're waiting for me to respond I will be in touch I promise next week Um, yeah so there's a dinner on the 20th of September which is a Wednesday um, and that will be single castination so uh, you can admire the Brooklady bottles, but really they're for me my very excellent jokes. I promise I won't do any more impressions. Um, and Derek does a great dinner, uh, three-course dinner. So that's definitely one. If you're traveling at that time, um, if you're on your way to Campbelltown or Isla, take a detour, come and have dinner in the Artisan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will, I promise, not leave hungry. <laughs> Not possible. Um, <laughs> you have to have the sticky toffee pudding because it is amazing. Um, and there is, like I say, this crazy selection of drams to be had and some local beers too. Amazing. And gins. He's got amazing. quite a lot of gin as well. If you're a gin, if you're wanting a gin pause in the middle of your whiskies. So um, that's where we send people to, to the artisan. Uh, okay. And then I guess at the end of the month, because uh, I've not done enough whiskey things in September, I'm going to go to the London Whiskey Show. So we won't have a table, but maybe... Uh, if you come and say hi, maybe I'll have a, I don't know, a sneak preview Ooh. of something I could tell you about. I like maybe that. Maybe I'll, I'll think about whether or not I'll get thrown out of London Whiskey Show for promising that kind of thing. You should just come and say hi. That would be nice. Come and say hello instead. So that's my whiskey-ish news. And behind so the scenes, gonna, I'm just going to live sneak? in a suitcase for the whole of September. <laughs> and then I'm going to bin tr- everything to save me having to put it away. That's my I'm October. trying to figure out. Like, if you're bringing whiskey around with you and you're sneaking it into the Whiskey Show London, do you just, like, hide casks in your socks? 
<laughs> yeah, regular as, as one under each armpit. They look like um, swimming flotation devices. And then because it is by the river, so you know, like I say, Swimmies, oh, it's yeah. I actually now now I said that. Please don't ban me from the whiskey show if you're not allowed to bring things. I just oh, what, what have I done? Just just come say hi to me. I don't promise to have any whiskey on me. How about that? Uh, but yeah, that's the end of the month. September sounds Beauty. busy. I have to take another holiday. It does sound busy, but that's all right. You'll have a slightly freer October, I think. Until I fill it with things. <laughs> uh, yeah, and behind the scenes, we are quietly working on a next ROW release, but I am not telling you nothing about that. Mainly because our regular correspondents in Chicago, uh, yeah. the Nolans, tend to write these things that I spuriously say on the podcast down, and then they hold me to them. And I was unaware right. that by being on this podcast, I was entering into some sort of legal contract. So I'm saying nothing. <laughs> but it's going to be good. That's all I can tell you. I don't have any U.S. news, but I I did have an email that I wanted to bring up, and Excellent. and I th- I thought that this one would be good to bring up with you specifically because I think part of it can pot- like part of it can potentially touch on logistical things, like not necessarily shipping stuff that you're very familiar with, but like the the way that this is discussed, I think it might fit with the way your brain may work in certain instances. Okay. So if that makes sense. Um, so this is an email that we got from uh, Dr. Matt Bishop. Oh, the lovely Dr. Matt Bishop. And and the the subject says looking to the future. And he says. Dear Jason and Joshua, and and we have to assume that that Jess is in there as well. (laughs) Obviously. He he failed us twice. He put Jason's name first, and he forgot your name altogether. I'm so offended, especially as I'm currently sat looking on the wall at some very lovely uh, whiskey cards that he made and brought to me at Glasgow Whiskey Festival. They're actually sat above my desk here. But maybe now, having committed such a faux pas in the email. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, whatever action you take, I wouldn't blame you, Jess. I'm, I'm, I've, I've got faith he can correct these hideous <laughs> mistakes in his opening gambit. So, he says, I hope this letter finds you well. I'm writing to you today to discuss the potential use of AI technology in the future of whiskey production in different countries. As you know, the whiskey industry is a global one, with distilleries located all over the world. As such, there are a variety of factors that can affect the production of whiskey, from climate to the type of grains used. AI technology has the potential to revolutionize the whiskey industry in a number of ways. For example, AI can be used to, and now we have a bulleted list. One, optimize the production process. And then a little description here. AI can be used to analyze data on everything from the weather 
to the fermentation process to identify areas where efficiency can be approved, improved. This can lead to lower costs and higher quality whiskey. Two, create new flavors. AI can be used to analyze data on thousands of different whiskey recipes to identify new flavor combinations that have never been tried before. This could lead to the creation of new and innovative innovative whiskey products. And then his final bullet here is personalize whiskey for individual consumers. AI can be used to analyze data on a person's taste preference to create a whiskey blend that is perfectly tailored to their individual taste. This could lead to a more personalized and engaging whiskey experience. We're almost done here. And that's the end of the bulletized list. And so he goes on, he says, of course, there are also some potential problems that could arise from the use of AI in the whiskey industry. For example, some people may worry that AI will lead to the dehumanization of the whiskey making process. I count myself amongst that group of people personally. Mm -hmm. That's me saying that. Dr. Matt did not say that. He goes on, he says, others may worry that AI could be used to create counterfeit whiskey products. Very interesting. Overall, I believe that the potential benefits of using AI in the whiskey industry outweigh the potential problems. AI has the potential to make whiskey production more efficient, create new flavors, and personalize whiskey for individual consumers. I believe that this will lead to a more sustainable and profitable whiskey industry in the future. It would be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. Please feel free to contact me if you have any questions. Sincerely, Dr. Matt. And then there's a PS. And in the PS, it says, the real Dr. Matt here. I hope you found this letter interesting, but would it surprise you to know that the letter was created entirely by AI using Google Bard? They, and that's in quotes, do seem to have some good points whoever they are. Ah, sneaky. So the real reason that the intro at the top of the email is wrong is because he let AI write it and then he corrected it at the end. I did wonder as we were going through this if this was going to be like a little twist at the end of P.S. I didn't write this. The robots did. And I was right. Yeah. So can't outsmart me, robots. That's my take home from this. (laughs) (laughs) um so 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 you knew you you had a feeling that that was a potentially an ai written email it'd be a a good way of presenting your case for ai um i i have had this discussion very recently actually and we had it in our tasting that chris and i host um, somebody brought this up, uh, one of the guys who comes to our tasting who works in tech and is actively involved in a couple of AI-based projects. So we had had this discussion mm. at the end when we've all had, you know, a few drams and everyone's feeling a little bit more uh, philosophical. I am... Um, my immediate response to this is to be very curmudgeonly mm. and say, no, do not improve it, leave it alone. Use AI for fixing real things that need fixing. Leave my whiskey alone. And then I thought about it a bit more. 
And I thought, well, it could be interesting. There are some distilleries who have done work with this. For example, Magmira did do an AI intelligence, that's the release of whiskey-based uh, project, where they allowed a, a computer program to come up with, I think, a thousand recipes. Hmm. But the final whiskey that they made was chosen by humans and then produced. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like... Because whiskey is such a personal thing. So if I, you know, I, I have a dram today of something that I uh, know and love, like you regularly reference, you know, your kind of like reset whiskey is Glenmorangie. Uh, mm-hmm. But some days that dram from that same bottle will taste different because, you know, you're tired or you're thirstier or it's warmer or it's a Tuesday, not a Friday. I just don't, I don't have the capacity to understand how you could create a thing and a bit of tech that can allow for the infinite amount of human variables to yeah. then for a robot to be like oh well i think um you like would like this i mean we already kind of have that sort of thing on a lot of shopping sites you know if you buy a klein leash then tongue-in-cheek the robot will be like hey you bought a klein leash have you thought about buying you may Brora? also like this yeah well so there's that i guess maybe it's a slight extension of that just to add on to what you're saying there, there used to be a website, I forget the name of it, but it, and it was Andy from, who used to be with Glencairn, him and some other people would run this, where... Ooh, yeah, they were, right, um, you, the Whiskey Blender, I think it was called, on a, you went on the blender. website and you slid yeah. a load of variables and then it created your optimal your blend based blend. on what you put in. Right. Which yeah, so I, I think is, I, like... I, I like that over the idea of AI for a couple reasons. I think, I think allowing, giving someone the tool to put in what they feel their preferences are gives them the full control over what that final product could be. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who are listening that don't know what we're talking about, the website I think was called, and maybe still is, I don't know if it's around anymore, but it was called the Whiskey Blender. And like Jess mentioned, you would, there'd be a bunch of variables and you would have this slider, this indication slider of how much of one flavor you'd like over the other and and vice versa. And it would just allow you to create a blend to a profile that you would find interesting. I like that because you've got the control. I definitely appreciate what Dr. Matt's robot put in Mm -hmm. his email where, you know, the idea of AI tracking my purchasing habits to then come up with something it thinks I may like, like, I understand that that already happens because of the use of cookies and yeah. and all that stuff. But like, it's so creepy to me. And right. And like cookies at this point for the for the UK and for the European Union, there's laws in place for you to opt in or opt out to, to cookies. To, right? Every it's single a pain website. In the ass. Do you want a cookie? Yes, I was here yesterday. Stop asking me. It's a pain, but at least it puts people in control. Which, which if you don't want that control, that's fine. At least you've you've made that decision. But man, that like AI creeps me out. Uh, doing genetic testing and people, you know, having access to my D- DNA creeps me out. Like, I don't know if I'm if I'm old, if I've watched too much sci-fi, you know, or what it is. But like, 
I just find AI absolutely creepy. And I like the idea that that whiskey has always been um, a people-led endeavor mm-hmm. for making and consuming and sharing and handing that over to a computer to make decisions. Yeah, it kind of it kind of freaks me out. Like I'm sure that the youngs may. I've um, in a whiskey context. I've been uh, recently to the Johnny Walker Experience on Princess Street in Edinburgh. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. I went into a little bit kind of um, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect I'd seen a lot of very glamorous pictures I've had various mm-hmm. friends that have done different things in the industry involving that setup um, and I went and I did the Whiskey Makers Skeletor. I think that's what it's called I think it's the most expensive one you can do there um, Did you say Skeletor? Skeletor Cellar tour, not skeleton. Skeletor would be even better. Oh my gosh, that uh, would be so much better. You could get that kind of vibe. Anyway, wait, so it's, it's very fancy and it's <laughs> underneath Princess Street and they call it a, where, a whiskey warehouse. It is genuinely a bonded warehouse, but for any of us who are listening that have anything to do with whiskey, there's a grand total of six casks in this bonded warehouse. It's not what okay. uh, the, rest, the rest of us in the old biz would call a bonded warehouse, but anyway. Um, <laughs> And it's really interesting because you get to try a whole load of things that Diageo don't usually put out and that really you only see in the realms of indie bottlers like us. So they had uh, one of the drums that you could try uh, was a Tierninich and it was, uh, well, it was distilled mm. at Tierninich and it was rye that they have distilled at Tierninich because they have that totally uh, different setup with the yeah. mash filters, blah, blah. Yep. So very cool. And then at the end, the host asked us what we had enjoyed and with an iPad and some digital magic she created a blend based on our input of what we had enjoyed throughout the tasting so obviously the whiskey nerds and us divided up to make sure we had actually got to try all of them because you know we're completionists and we can't just try one thing we have to try all the things Mm -hmm. Um, but Mm. I really enjoyed that because it was the showmanship of how it was all done and like how it's all put together Mm. check it out it's well worth it but I enjoyed that. That's a form, I guess, of like what the whiskey blender guys were doing. That's, you know, you are controlling a set of variables to create uh, an outcome that it was the end. I can't remember how many she said there were, maybe four or six different recipes that it adds up to. And they were all created by the master blenders. So you answer a series of questions and that takes flavor profiles and it creates a blend at the end. And they give you a little hint as to mm. what's in some of it. Um, Mm -hmm. very cool and fun and then when you go upstairs to the ridiculously Disneyland themed um, (laughs) fancy dancy retail experience I think we have to call it not a shop Um, had the same they had a big quiz thing and you answered like on sliders like you liked a kind of more floral or if you liked smoky you know those kind of set categories that we're used to looking at with whiskey yeah the flavour profiles and then at the end of that it recommended a Johnny Walker bottling that based on the answers you're given should fit your palate so obviously mine tends to be biased more towards the smoky so I came out with the Johnny Walker double black um, but it, mm. you know I was recommending all of them you know, like the gold and the blue label and all that kind of stuff so I thought that was quite fun because it's getting you to think about whiskey in um, can I call it layman's terms you know in a way that is maybe people who aren't used to picking up a glass and then you know poetically giving you 15 different mm. tasting notes people who still find that 
disconnect of like, well, how is that liquid in that glass there supposed to taste like yeah. honeycomb or blah, blah, pear drops? So allowing people to think about food flavors that maybe they understand and then they could try a whiskey and be like, oh, yeah, right. I, I feel like I can detect some of these flavors that I had wanted to pick in a glass mm. into it. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's interesting. I guess I'm a bit like you. I, I've got a bit of a where does it end with AI? But it's only as good as the information you're putting in. So yes. my friend Flo and listener of the podcast, Hello Flo, was talking about um, they had done a study, and if I'm telling this story wrong, Flo, please forgive me, um, where they had used um, an AI program um, to look at um, scans of patients' chests of x-rays to detect um cancerous growths and you know like Mm. help detecting Mm -hmm. illnesses um and the ai it turned out was really good at this but it was more to do with the fact that the uh, the program learned that if a scan from a patient came from hospital a it that hospital had a higher incidence of the illness of the lung cancer ah, so it okay. learned AI but not quite in the way that was anticipated and so my friends hmm. that are much more tech aware than this have tried to explain you know the worst of my fears away of it doesn't necessarily learn in like a linear fashion it, it's reading yeah. in a way because it's not a human brain so I guess it's looking for more things so like in the case of these hospital scans um if you were being referred from there, it was an oncology hospital. So it was more likely that if your scans were being sent from this hospital, you had already had some sort mm. of, you know, like abnormality detected. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is what I took home from the explanation of the people who understand these things better than I do. So it's not quite as clever as like a sentient being like learning in a straightforward way that I guess a human brain would want to because it's analysing everything. It's, yeah. it's like, like a sponge absorbing all the information. Could it, like, like uh, pretend Dr. Matt has suggested, could it help make whiskey more efficient and uh, create new flavours? Well, yeah, I, I guess it could. But the other question is, well, why do we want it? Like, when we're saying we want to make whiskey more efficient, what is it we're looking for? Are we looking for an environmental level? Are we wanting it to be um, more energy efficient, you know, greener? Or are we wanting it to be, okay, we can get these incredibly complicated fermentation characteristics in what would normally take, I don't know, Mm. 180 hours, but we found a way to bring it so it does it in 40 hours. Yeah. So that you can push it through quicker. I'm I'm not sure that whiskey really necessitates those kinds of efficiencies. Like, when you go to distilleries, they're always incredibly proud of, especially the ones that do it, here's our really long fermentation, here's how slowly we run our stills, here's our... Sure long maturation I don't know if that in my mind as a whiskey drinker I'm wanting it to be more efficient no but does I, that make I sense did I just witter for a bit no but I, no I, th- I, th- I think I think it makes sense from from our perspective in that we are typically drinking from distilleries that talk about the things that you've just talked about, right? Um, uh, green initiatives and and you know minimizing carbon footprints and and but we've got long fermentations and slow distillation and mm-hmm. you know our wood policy is such and so on. But I would also argue that there's plenty of other distilleries that are focused 
an efficiency for making liquid to go into a three-year-old blend, right? Mm-hmm. And so Absolutely. some of these other things are, are less of a consideration. And maybe for that, you know, you, you can find something that can help the overall production. But but he, he, here's, here's what I'll say about it. And I was thinking about this the other, the other day because it, because it seems like AI wants to get into everything or people want AI to get into everything. This past December, my 16-year-old got her driver's license. And ever since she got her driver's license, she wants to be the one driving. Can I drive? Yeah, go ahead. Can I drive? Yeah, go ahead. Can I drive? No, I, I, I kind of want to drive my car. Like, please. <laughs> so my, my point is, just because we have AI doesn't mean it has to be used all the time and everywhere. Just like, just because my daughter now has her license doesn't mean she has to be yeah. the driver all the time. Like, there is a time and there is a place and you can find benefits like in hospitals, right? Or like in in you know other other areas but like just because something exists doesn't mean it has to be involved in fucking everything that's very true yeah i also feel like that was a little bit about the driving just a little bit i remember well being in that position do you not too like the joy of something new just be like yeah i want to be the which oh, I, I guess just, is also like the AI. She just loves hopping in the car, blasting music, and driving. Like, you remember those days. Just like, oh, yeah. the best. I'm out. I'm away. Yeah. I still do. I love being in my car driving. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's not reassuring you in any way. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's probably the same as AI. Like, explore it and see what benefits it could bring. Hmm. It's funny, I guess it's particularly jarring in an industry like whiskey, which is quite traditional, and we're not very good at changing. We're very hesitant, I think, in whiskey to change things quickly, whereas in mm. you know, medicine and science, where there's always a hunt and a desire for progression and improvement, I, I think that's, I would have thought, much more um, accepting of an AI application than whiskey, where we're still doing pretty... And, mm. and some distilleries, especially very rudimentary, very basic processes, makes you wonder how can you improve that using AI and do they want to? Whereas I can imagine maybe some of these newer distilleries who are looking for, who are not the producers of the, you know, bulk liquid to be put into three year olds to be put into blends, people who are looking to champion what they're doing, maybe a bit of AI wizardry could be added into mm. their narrative and what they're doing. Maybe. I, I don't know. Like, like, being with David Thompson this, this past week, one of the things that he, that he really highlights is there's no computers. Everything is done by mechanics. Everything is nosed. It's done by sight. It's done by taste. It's traditional. You know, there's... I think with whiskey in particular, there's a certain romanticism attached to it that if you apply too much AI to it, 
that maybe some of the magic is is taken away a bit. And, yeah, I agree. And, you know, yeah, yeah. I agree. I've always said that I wanted to do this idea of uh, no bullshit whiskey tours where they take you to, <clears throat> you know, like highly efficient grain plants. And it's, mm. it's not the, you know, slightly misty-eyed um, kind of bagpipe playing hoochta-choochta tour of a distillery I we do a great mm-hmm. job as an industry of selling that and I can see why it's it's a very appealing way to present whiskey and the history I think yeah. what Johnny Walker are doing with Princess Street and the Four Corners as cynical as you want to be about it they're putting a much more contemporary twist on it but sure. still telling essentially the same story albeit in a, a slightly lighter and brighter manner I'm, I'm not sure I I, th- <laughs> I don't like change so to me I don't really want to see that AI has improved everything and made everything better like nothing would make me more sad than going to Springbank and instead of that lovely bit of board they've painted black and there's a bit of chalk tied to it now they've got a really very high tech computer system in place I would think a bit of the magic's died but who are we really to stand in the way of progress? Like, just because we want to see the bit of chalk on a bit of string with a blackboard. Maybe that's holding what? back Springbank from being the best it could be. The last thing we need, Jess, is to have a Skynet Terminator making our whiskey for us. That's very true. That's true. Okay, right. So the official answer is... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the verdict is out, Dr. Matt. We feel like... You and your robot, we're not sure we want it to be touching our whiskey. Thank you very much. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think. I think that's it. I think. How could we test it on a small it. scale? Yeah, I'd, I'd want to see like a small scale. Would you sacrifice a distillery for them to be the AI guinea pigs? And then. Hmm. Mm. I also worry that this way madness lies. How far do you take it? When a distillery goes on shutdown. And it's run by AI. Does it just say like "I'll be back," like for when it's gonna come back? Yeah, that's my Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation, be... almost as good as Michael Caine, by the way. I love it. Like that's yeah. We would, AI has to come with a series of bad impersonations of actors and characters from movies to uh, reassure us that they haven't taken over yet. My name is Michael Caine, and I'm doing the mashing today. Right? That was AI. AI did that. <laughs> it wouldn't give you confidence, though. If it's a really bad impersonation, it would you not be like, I, I don't trust AI Michael Caine to do the mashing this today. This mash is going to be, be washing. terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like soup. Let's all stay out. <laughs> right, this is how Michael Caine speaks. Michael Caine speaks to his nose like that. He gets very, very specific. It's very like that. When he gets loudly, it gets very loud indeed. It gets very specific. It's not quite nasal enough the way you're doing it, all right? You're not doing it the way he speaks. You're not doing it with the kind of... And you don't do the broken voice when he gets very emotional. When he gets very emotional indeed. She was only 16 years old. She was only 16... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. That's Michael Caine. Dr. Matt, I hopefully Jess and I have argued the points. We, we've solved what could or should be done with AI in the whiskey world. At least we've solved it to your satisfaction. Um, 
if you, the listener, want to be like Dr. Matt and would like to reach out to us, you could uh, please do. Please reach out to us. Questions at one nation under whiskey.com, no E in whiskey, or info at singlecastnation.com. Um, me, Jess, or Jason would be happy to answer your questions. Uh, if you'd like the podcast, please tell your friends, your loved ones, your neighbors. Um, and you can also go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating if you really love it. Five stars would be awesome. Say a nice thing and maybe we'll name check you. We'll give you a, a middle name that you may or may not love. Um, but we'll be sure to <laughs> announce it here on the podcast. Um, is that bribery? Yes, I want. Are we that offering is, bribery to people? Give us five stars and we'll give you a cool new name. I think so. Okay. I think that's, I think that's I'm behind it. this. So Jess, I want to I want to raise my my coffee mug to you, and to the listener, and to Thad Vogler, and to Jason, in the and give you a cheers. Okay. And the what? Oh, in and Doctor Matt, and the wilderness, and the fake Doctor Matt, and the fake Doctor Matt, Robo Matt. <laughs> oh, <What's his> name? <gasps> that's got to be his nickname, Robo Matt. But only Done. when we're right into the robot one. We're only yeah. addressing the robot. Right. Okay. Well, we can work on this. Still say it. Yeah. All right. Well, I raise my glass, my cup, my mug, whatever it is. Cheers, Jess. Cheers. Two chins. <laughs>